We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe was unfortunately called out at the last minute, but it's okay. We'll make this work. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other movie topics. This is episode 385. 385. Jesus. I know, right? Nice. Yeah. And uh, this week we're talking Dr. Sleep, the sequel to the 1977 novel by Stephen King, The Shining, the 1980 movie by Steve, by uh, Stanley Kubrick, The Shining, and the ABC TV miniseries from 1997, yeah. The Shining? Yeah. Yes. Sure. It's a sequel to all of those and our hearts. Uh, but joining us, joining me to, tonight to discuss Dr. Sleep, we have from Cinema Blend, he's locked away many demons in his chests, but made, <laughs> <laughs> made too many copies of the keys. It's Eric Eisenberg. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? Also joining us, writer for Thrill List and Rotten Tomatoes, he didn't forget to tend to the boiler room, or did he? It's Aaron Pruner. I did. <laughs> Hello. And finally joining us, from Why So Blue, he wants to play with us, it's Peter Paris. Hey, hey, yo, yo. Gross. I mean, <laughs> hi. <laughs> How are you guys doing this evening? Excellent. Well, you know. <laughs> that's all, that's my answer, you know. Good. No, I'm good. Good. It's good to talk to you. No. I'm good. I'm good. good. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about Dr. Sleep. Yeah, no, it, Eric, Eric it's, it feels like we've never ever talked about a movie involving like, gifted youngsters that are being swayed by good and evil at the same time, but here we are. Never. I mean, yeah, that's not, I, I feel like I'm falling into a niche when it comes to being on this podcast, but uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good area. Well, for sure. No, I'm glad to have you back here. Uh, Peter, good to have you on here. You jumped on last minute here after Abe had to get called out, unfortunately, so uh, good, good on you. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy to be here. And uh, Aaron, you're a first-time guest on this program. I just want to point out I'm on Eric Eisenberg's uh, Twitter, and uh, that's a great avatar, my friend. Oh, I mean, thank you, you so know, much. We're talking about uh, Dr. Sleep. Uh, sorry. Hi. What were you saying? <laughs> I was saying I'm glad to have you on the show for the first time. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I you know, I guess the last time when you said we were we, we did a show about Sleepy Hollow, when the hell was that? That was it, it, it was before was... it was before Tom Meissen Ichabod was cast in the Watchmen series that's currently on. I know that much. So that uh, okay, so Obama was president, right? Yeah, yes, yes, that is correct. That's the last time that we, how, we spoke on a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good to talk to you. No, for sure. No, I've been, been trying to make something work, and here we are. We, and fittingly, because I was, we were planning to have you on to our It Chapter 2 podcast, but fortunately, Stephen King's just been running rampant this year at the movies, so we have you on for this one. Yes. Well, yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, it is November. Uh, we do a commentary track every month. Last month, we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was a ton of fun. Peter, you were on that track. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it is a new month, which means that we'll be doing, doing doing a new commentary track soon enough. We'll still got to decide on what we got to do, and this is a pretty busy week, so I don't even know where we're going to record this. I guess it's going to be next week, some point before Thanksgiving, which I guess is the end of the month. So we got some time. But yeah, there's going to be a new commentary track. It's probably it's probably going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned. And uh, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps out our show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search right now there in Abe. You can do those things, and you're already halfway there. Because after that, all you have to do is give us a star rating and write a, possibly write a review. So that'd be great. Thank you in advance. All right, let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to some know everybody. Reach if we ask each other a question or two. Try to set the tone for the podcast. I better get to know everybody. All right, I have a question. You have for you. a great radio voice. Thank you, thank you, you Mr. Pruner. <laughs> um, what was my question? My question was okay. So uh, in the in the film, Doctor Sleep, Rebecca Ferguson's character is named Rose the Hat. She leads the True Knot, 
which consists of a number of characters with, fact, with funny names, what would be your true not name? <sighs> this is one of those ones where I feel like I should have prepped you guys beforehand. But it's, <laughs> it's a fun question. <laughs> uh, huh. We have things like Crow Daddy, Snakebite Andy, <laughs> among others. You know, I'm going to cheat because and it's because I use it for my uh, Twitter handle every October. Uh, I'm just going to go with Evil Eric just because it's well, there you go. suited me well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with potato, potato Chip Pete. <laughs> I guess I'll go with Aaron the Snark. Nice. These are all good names, guys. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, my runner-up was Fart Monkey. You're <laughs> curious. I was curious, and now I know. So. It's on the record. All right. Well, I, I think we got a true knot here, and we can uh, we can become uh, you know steam demons or whatever they want to call themselves. So yeah, good names all around. All right, that's how you play. No, everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get to some out now quickies. DM. Each week and out now, we have one movie a week that we talk about. All right. DM. That's enough of that. Um, let's start. Let's start with Peter. Peter, what uh, what other movies have you seen recently? Well, I just saw this weekend. I saw The Irishman. Ooh. Uh, and uh, I saw it in a theater. I saw it at an Alamo Draft House. Cinema. Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Not uh, a, you, you didn't see it at Knotts. You didn't see it at a theme park. <laughs> no. No. I, not. Um. You know, though. It, I mean, no, no. I loved it. I'm. Uh. I think on this podcast, I have said that I am not a huge. I'm not a huge mob movie guy. I don't love Goodfellas like a lot of people of my generation. I love, I love The Godfather. I think that's great. Um, but well, that's that's about funny. family. Yeah, exactly. That's that's more um, like Fast and Furious. I compare those I, movies a lot. <laughs> I, I gotta say, um, and I know I already I already uh, said to this to Aaron off podcast, but it's funny because like it's probably just the way the story is, but a lot of my criticisms of Goodfellas. It's almost like Martin Scorsese has been listening to me because he it's like Irishman addresses a lot of my problems. It's really weird. I was like, I don't like Joe Pesci being a hothead. He's not a hothead. I don't like the shrill ending of Goodfellas. It's not a, it's it's a more somber and like it's weird. I was like all these things that I always don't like about Goodfellas are like not in this movie, like which, which is so weird to me. Um, uh, I don't like that they gave Anna Paquin too many lines in other movies. They gave her one line in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Actually, I thought she was pretty good though. Like and the and the little girl, play, the younger actress. Um, but yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that like um, before we did before I got on this podcast, I started watching uh, Dolomite at home. I feel like I have a problem sometimes where. You have this a lot of talents and people go on Netflix and then sometimes I'm like, eh, I'll watch this eventually. Like, but because I just saw Irishman and I really liked it, now I'm like, oh, I gotta watch. Uh, what is it, Craig Brewster? Yeah, is that who did Brewer, Yeah, Brewer. Yeah, Brewer. Brewer. Brewster uh, had millions and he was played with Richard like, Pryor. Exactly. Um, but Aaron, you've I know you loved Irishman. Did you like Dolomite? I like Dolomite a lot. Okay. I, if I, it's the kind of movie where I think there'd be. It would be better served to have awards conversations about something like Dolomite, where there's some performances that normally just wouldn't get any kind of Oscar attention compared to the movies that you typically see attention for even before anyone has seen said movies. So it's like, yeah, Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes, like, those would be fun names to have in the conversation more than some of the names you're just already hearing because it's that actor and they get nominated a lot. Is Wesley Snipes going to be like... Because I'm a half hour in, he hasn't shown up. Is he going to be like Al Pacino where he's halfway through the movie? Yes. It, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Because I was like, he, I haven't, seen, I don't know what his role is going to be, but well, you'll see. He's fantastic. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so you saw The Irishman, and you liked it a lot. I loved it, yeah. It was great. All right. Let's get to Aaron. Aaron, what have have you seen recently? Wow, so uh, I'm trying to think here. I don't get to the movie theater that much recently because I I have a baby situation here at home. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So it takes up a lot of my time. I did go see Parasite uh, a week ago. I got a day to myself and went and saw that, and that blew my goddamn mind. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's now living inside of me as if it's my own parasite, but in a good way. That's how <laughs> that's how Bong Joon-ho likes it, I assume. But I mean, aside from that, I've been catching up on Mr. Robot. Because um, did you know we're in its final season? I, I did. haven't seen anything online about it. And suddenly <laughs> I'm like, we're halfway through the season. I haven't even watched. So I've been trying to catch up on that. And it's um, I sort of lost uh, touch with it in season three and I guess halfway through season two. But I'm I'm back on board, and I'm really invested in seeing everyone die, because it's, I'm just convinced everyone's gonna die. <laughs> you you know I I've watched the first three I think of this season, and that's a show like it. When was the third season? It had to be, it's more than a year ago it's at this like point. Two right? years ago, year and a half, something like that. Yeah, so it's been a minute. So it's like it's come back, and I'm like, I don't like. I don't have an actual thought of like where was I with this show before. I was just like, I guess I watched it. So I'm yeah. like watching this season. I'm like. Well, whatever was happening before, I'm certainly back in now because it's just been right. pretty solid. So. Yeah, I jumped right back in without any sort of memory of what the hell happened. Yeah. And then I'm watching, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Darlene did some stupid shit. And, oh, okay. Then that that guy is her father, but he's also tied in with this person. You know, I don't know. And B.D. Wong <laughs> is like this person and that person. It, there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But it's solid. And uh, I got halfway through one cut of The Dead on Shudder. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, uh, love horror films. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of things that have subtitles, especially when I'm sleep deprived at home. Uh, that'll just put me right to sleep. All right. But I enjoyed what I saw. Because I've heard a lot of good praise for Welcome yeah, to the it's Dead. Yeah, great. And I'm a big it's zombie I've heard especially fan. good things about the second half of it. Also, hmm. where they have I no... fell asleep before the second half started. Oh, they, oh that's exactly. There up. you go. So. That's, when, that's when Wesley Snipes shows up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halfway through, I woke up and I'm like, this is not the same movie? <laughs> So I gotta go back. Well, very cool. Eric, what have you seen recently? Uh, I, in contrast, uh, maybe, and it's certainly in part because I don't have a baby, I've been to a lot of movies recently, some of which I can talk about, some of which I can't. Sure. Uh, so I'll just try and touch on a bunch of them. Uh, Noah Baumbach's uh, Marriage Story mm-hmm. I got to see, and it's absolutely wonderful. I definitely think that it's one of his best works. Uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, and Adam Driver are both wonderful, and it's weird how it kind of parallels it very it very much parallels Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig's relationship and in a weird way has an influence on the plot that I don't without giving away too much like it is weird how it kind of affects the characters ultimately knowing that it's coming from Baumbach's perspective uh but I very much enjoyed it it's uh, a really great piece of work are, uh, just to be clear are they together yeah. though still no, they're they're. I believe they're divorced. Okay, I don't. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't um, keep up with these things. I no, only, yeah, I only yeah. keep track of Leslie Snipes' business. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Out of jail. That's that's the important thing. Uh, I got to see uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which I mostly enjoyed. Uh, I I know there's been a lot of like there's a lot of big praise for it. I kind of I, I really like the performances. I think Christian Bale and Matt Damon are fantastic. The race sequences are awesome. Like the way that they're ca- like James Mangold captures them is intense and beautiful. And at the same time, 
I did feel to a certain degree that the drama is a bit inert, like, and it's also two and a half hours long, which we've kind of, I feel like, especially in the last few weeks, I've been seeing a lot of 150 minute movies and yeah, that takes like, its toll. Like uh, this movie that we're talking about today. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, well, I mean, to preview my feelings about that, I feel like uh, Dr. Sleep very much earned it. Has anyone here seen Last Christmas? Oh, yeah, I did. I did so, not. It's cute. I, I, I like Paul Feig, which is pretty, like, I'm, and I'm always willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, which is kind of why I went to go check it out. I, I, I do find it funny that a lot of the social media conversation is about how, like, what the twist is. And, like, there's been a backlash against it, but, like, it is so obvious. Like, it is so, so crazy obvious that it's kind of hard to get past. Wait, really? Uh, I didn't, I did not. We don't need to go too far into this. Okay, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't see that coming. Okay, all right, we're going. Right. Yeah, I really want to know what the twist is. I want to know what it is so bad. <laughs> I, 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 you're not going to hear it from me. Uh, and lastly, and I definitely have to keep my uh, opinions on this one short, just because it's basically only half lifted its embargo. Uh, but I've seen Frozen Two, and I gotta say I didn't love it. I I, I think that the, the soundtrack is absolutely wonderful, and I don't think that will surprise anybody. And within that, the and like the sequences uh, to the mu- to the music are really fantastic. However, the characters don't really go anywhere. What it's trying to do story wise winds up really honestly being confusing and i'm not entirely sure where it kind of landed on its whole big question uh which again i can't say too much about but uh yeah so uh yeah didn't love frozen 2 for, for context did you like frozen i did like frozen I, I didn't love it as much as a lot of people did but i did i definitely did like it a lot Oh, well, I, I don't know. Here, there's a lot of people that really love Frozen. And, uh, <laughs> I know, I know. But it. I don't know. There's a lot of people that really love Goodfellas, so maybe The Irishman is just a Stephen Pyle. I've seen a number of things that I'll mention this week. Uh, my lovely girlfriend and I just got back from Ford versus Ferrari not too long ago, but that's next week's episode. So I will not see anything about that movie except that cars go fast. What else, though? Um, I saw Dark Waters this week. That's the new Todd Haynes film with Mark Ruffalo. Ooh, it is quite good. Um, it's the kind of like one man versus like a whole system type movie right. that I can generally get behind. Like there's a lot of fun to be had in that. Like it's it's quite riveting in that regard. I it's it's a strong feature. I it it, it tackles some neat issues. Um, it presents them kind of very matter of fact for for a Todd Haynes film. It's interesting that like there was a Q and A afterwards, and they were both there along with Tim Robbins and the real guy that Mark Ruffalo plays and. It seems like Mark Ruffalo just brought the project to Haynes as like something that they can work on together, as opposed to Haynes was like you know super involved with it in the same way he is in the many personal films that he seems to make. But regardless, it's just a, it's a compelling film. I was I was into what it was trying to put out there. Nice. Um, I saw Les Misérables, which is not the Miserables, Les Misérables that you think you know, but a new Les Misérables from France that is kind of a it. It's not quite a modern retelling of Victor Hugo's like original story, but at the same time, I can see where it's coming from in calling itself using this very specific title that's very you know evocative. Um, it is about uh, police corruption uh, to an extent, and kind of youths that are get, getting caught up in profiling and what have you. It's it's effective. I, I there's a, there's a quibble I have that I can't get into because it happens at the end. But beyond that, it's a it's a good piece of work, and it's France's like official submission for best foreign language film, 
or best international feature, whatever they're calling it at the Academy these days. Um, but it's it's one to look out for. I know it comes out like a little later in the game. Um, let's see, Honey Boy opens this week, which I talked about I think a little while ago, but I do I will mention again because it's it's quite good. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think Shia LaBeouf does a great job there. And um, let's see, Anna and I we also saw Midway, the Roland Emmerich film that topped the box office this weekend. Um, <laughs> somewhat surprisingly, but a lot of people thought Doctor Sleep. And a lot Wait, of that movie's out? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's Veterans Day weekend, so it made its money. Um, no, I'm serious. I'm so out of touch, man. That movie's out? Yeah. Yeah, it came All right. out. Yeah. Number, one, number one movie in America. Yeah. It's not hey. good. It's not a good movie. Um, <laughs> I I generally like Roland Emmerich blow-em-ups. Um, few few here or there have been, you know, misses, but I, gen- I, I tend to look to be like, all right, you'll you'll you'll, pro- you'll maybe entertain me, and this one did, did not do it. Um, Better when, or worse than Pearl Harbor? See, that's the question I keep getting, and sure. I I do not like Pearl Harbor at all. I think nobody it is, does. I How think it, I think it is, and like beyond that though, there is. I have a lot of opinions about Michael Bay. Many of them good, <laughs> but that's one where I'm like, this is basically his worst movie. I think it's better than Midway because at least it resembles a wow. Michael. Ba- it resembles a Michael Bay film, Pearl Harbor. Like it has all wow. the elements. It doesn't come together at all. But at least it has the stuff that you generally, you know, see in a Michael Bay movie. This just feels very gen- like it, it. It feels like Roland Emmerich just like he saddled with Lionsgate budget, which is, I guess, is still like seventy to hundred million dollars. But it just looks cheap. It has a terrible script where it's involving real people, but it does nothing with it to make it compelling. The action all feels very weightless. Uh, like it's neat to see the dive bomb runs that these planes are doing. Like that's an that's an interesting that's a that's a, that's a cool image to see. But most of the action just feels like just blobs of CGI just plastered on the screen of bullets around them. Like it's it's a shape because there's <laughs> midway is a really compelling story that you can tell. And having someone like Roland Emmerich, you know, doing his kind of disaster thing and that, I could see where that would work. But not this time. It's a bit of a shame. On a better note, though, Anna and I, thanks to a friend of the show, Terrence Johnson, we were able to attend a live concert for uh, Coco, Pixar's Coco, where it was the film presented at the Hollywood Bowl, but there was a live orchestra as well as singers, including many members of the cast, coming out to do the songs live, which was awesome because, first off, I love Coco. I think that's one of Pixar's best movies. Anna is a big fan of Coco as well. And also because that experience is just unique to seeing the movie that way, just seeing a live orchestra play a movie that has such a fantastic soundtrack to begin with. So, I mean, it, it was no Frozen 2, clearly, but I mean, I still think it was a, <laughs> it was a good time. Honestly, I'm also curious. Like, I, I want to know what Lee Unkrich thinks about Dr. Sleep. Uh, I don't think he has said anything publicly, but, like, he is notably a huge, huge fan of The Shining, and I am curious what his opinion is, and maybe he didn't get to see it just because of that Coco thing. <laughs> he was busy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of Pixar. I mean, they have what? They have the the whole carpet pattern in Toy Story, right? Like it's just it's that's like, true. That's true. But I think that might have been his influence. I think that's because yeah, sure, yeah, that yeah. was because of him. Mm-hmm. So, well, we, let's get him on the horn. Let's call up <laughs> Lee. <laughs> we'll see what he thinks. Uh, they, we'll, yeah. Had they made? I'm sorry. Just I was thinking of The Shining. Was Doctor Sleep in production when they made when Warner Brothers made Ready Player One? Because that's another Shining moment well they're both warner brothers films for what they but yeah, I mean, so, like, so they must have known right i mean 
there there was I saw I read an interview about this where he he had uh, Mike Flanagan the director hasn't even seen uh, Ready Player One as of yet. Oh, okay. Cuz it I'll, just feels like I'm I'll like also, I'll, I'll also really... note that Ready Player One used CG as far as kind of creating the sets or whatnot and uh, right. where Dr. Sleep literally had Mike Flanagan pulling out the blueprints uh from the, right. the sets right. of Kubrick's movie to recreate sets for it. Which yeah. makes sense given that you have real people walking through those sets versus CG avatars, avatars. walking through Ready Player Correct. One. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We good on that? We all... <laughs> yes, that I'm sorry. I was just curious. Yeah. It's all right. Um, well, yeah, that's uh, that's everything I've seen this week. So, if all that said, that's a that's uh, that's our quickies. Yeah. Let's move on now. Let's get to one. Uh, let's get to our trailer talk. Where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. This week we had a new trailer for The Invisible Man. This is not part of Universal's Dark Universe, but it is. <laughs> it is a new Universal monster film. Um, based off one of their classics, The Invisible Man, um, which is adapted from the H.G. Wells novel. It is This version is directed by Lee Wannell, who recently directed um, Upgrade, and of course is well known for being uh, partners in crime with James Wan early on in his career. It stars Elizabeth Moss as a woman who was suffering abuse, it would seem, until her husband disappears, dies, maybe, but maybe not, because the movie's title, obviously. With all that... <laughs> Eric, you sounded excited when I told you we were going to talk about this trailer. What did you think of the trailer for Invisible Man? Uh, I liked it a lot. I mean, I, I, I agree with some people, and there's like, a, a good amount of social media sentiment. I feel like it's this always happens with horror movies, where like you are wondering, like, ah, oh, did I just see a little bit too much of this film? Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I'm very excited. All the pieces of that are involved with this movie like are just really exciting i mean elizabeth moss is an incredibly talented actress oliver jackson cohen uh i absolutely loved on haunting of hill house obviously there's the mike flanagan connection there that's where he's from okay yeah uh the uh you're forgetting he was the sexy scarecrow in emerald city <laughs> also that um but I, I but i mean it's just i and I, I think the effects look cool it looks creepy and i i mean honestly i was impressed i was crazy impressed by upgrade and i say that like I didn't love, for example, the last two. Did he direct the last two Insidious movies or just the third one? He directed just the third one. Just the third one. I didn't yeah. love the third one. Uh, the fourth one was worse, so it kind of, I guess, makes it look better by comparison. Yeah, the, the third one but, had uh, Dermot Mulroney, so, I mean, you know, it was a win yeah. right there. That I, There was so much. I mean, I don't want to get off. I'm being mostly about, facetious because I can't remember thing. anything about the third Insidious movie, <laughs> except that it was called Insidious Chapter 3. Honestly, the big thing, uh, I, again, I don't want to get off this tangent, but that should be a Lin Shea film, and it's not a Lin Shea film, which I just think is really Well, insane. they realize that, so that's why Insidious colon The Last Key right. made, made it a Lin Shea film. It's, which, right, yeah, but it was uh, too little too late. But, uh, but yeah, but I mean, but Upgrade, I thought, was truly fantastic. This, some of the camera work in that, uh, for that movie is just honestly phenomenal. And I'm really, and just given that, and especially just kind of the effects uh, the the use of visual effects and special effects to create that look, the idea of playing around with a invisible protagonist, I'm all about it. Yeah, very excited. Cool, Peter. Do you think Invisible Man's going to top um, uh, Paul Verhoeven's Hollow Man? <laughs> I think it, I think it can top Verhoeven's Hollow Man. It, it's not. It's one of the weaker uh, Verhoeven's. But I gotta say, I'm. I don't know. Like, it's weird. I love Upgrade. I didn't realize that's who directed it. I think Upgrade's terrific. Uh, was one of my. I mean, I think that the way they choreographed the fight stuff is like so clever. Yep. And the the poor man Tom Hardy actor guy is really good. <laughs> Logan Marshall Green. <laughs> he's yeah. quite he's quite good. Um, but 
Uh, you know, the thing about is Claude Rains, the original Invisible Man. Yes. I know that's the, yes. that is the universe. Like the reason that works so well, though, is that like I like that he's already invisible in the beginning and he's kind of he's kind of crazy and mean. And this I'm kind of like, well, you know what it is? It's I've heard people say this before about other movies where if you have a certain thing and then you don't use that thing, then you're kind of like, well, what's the point? Like, why is this the Invisible Man? So a part of me is like, well, if it's not the way the Invisible Man story is, which is it's very much about this guy who's gone crazy and everything. And now you've shifted the focus to, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Is it is it his wife or is Elizabeth Waugh the wife or girlfriend? It's the wife. The wife well, yeah. ex-wife protagonist. Yeah. You shift the focus to that and then it becomes it looks like it's kind of like a domestic a spousal abuse like thing. That that could absolutely be a good movie, but like I don't know why it's the Invisible Man then. And I'm like, well, then that's he's really just a monster. The whole point of the original Invisible Man is that he's kind of engaging and everything. This I'm like, well, this guy's just terrible from the get go. Like I don't know how that makes it any. He's just a monster. Again, this is just based on the trailer, and I did not realize it was the Upgrade guy because I do really like Upgrade. So maybe the trailer is amping it up in a way that the movie will be a little more nuanced. So, eh. Aaron, what do you think about that? I sort of agree. Um, you know, the, 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 from what I can see in the trailer, it deviates a lot from the original story, right? And and look, you can get away with that. People, movies get away with that all the time. Um, uh, the fact that it is Lee Whannell and uh, uh, Elizabeth Moss and Blumhouse and there's a lot going for this that that has me interested in seeing it and like i said earlier i don't leave the house anymore i would leave the house for this but at the same time it is kind of like why are we calling it the invisible man if it's from her perspective and he's a psychopath at you know at the very beginning then it kind of changes the overall identity of the story unless if um the trailer is just pulling the wool over our eyes you know what i mean but I think the movie has a lot going for it. And I got to say, of all the people who were involved in Mad Men, I was not expecting Elizabeth Moss's career to just skyrocket and have John Hamm sort of, I don't know, on the sidelines waiting, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I know he's in stuff, but uh, Elizabeth Moss, everything she's done since leaving that show has left me completely, uh, I guess, trusting of whatever her choices are career-wise like i'll yeah, i will go perfect. just for her now i know I, you missed the kitchen i did miss that yes <laughs> well i don't know it's not terrible and she's in, like, like she's one of the better parts of it but that, yeah. that came out when august august ah, yeah yes uh my daughter was younger sure um i hear what you guys are saying and i hear what eric is saying as far as the trailer showing a lot for one thing that never really phases me just because i have I have trailer blindness, it seems. Like, I can watch trailers all day and not really feel like it's impacting my viewing of a movie. Um, I tend to give up most days on, like, at, like, a two-minute mark of a trailer. I'm like, I can just stop it here because it's just going to show, like, a montage of, like, things the audience might like. But I watch sure. the whole thing for this one. I generally watch, like, the first trailers for every movie, the, the later I will, ones. I, I will say, I, I watched this trailer for a second time mm-hmm. uh, because I, for this show, and just so I could just have that... Uh, refresh but yeah otherwise i had no intention of ever watching it again yeah so just because those images do stick in my brain and i eventually find myself watching the movie and waiting for those moments so for sure what i'm getting to is that i think the movie well for one thing it does look good 
Um, if it, I'm concerned if the story is going to be like a simplified take on like, well, there's an abused woman dealing with this man and he happens to be an invisible monster person now. Like, that's a take. And if that's the pure story that they're going for, okay. If there's more to it than that, I would not be surprised either just because I do think there's enough people involved that could, you know, turn things on their head in their own way. Uh, we haven't really seen much of the that's a weird way to phrase it there we haven't seen much of the invisible man aspect of the film um as of now i look forward to just seeing what kind of like cool stuff they do with it especially in a time where i mean i i was knocking on hollow man a bit that movie i don't think is very good but the effects are very good in that film like i was gonna say it's not a good movie but, but it has some awesome sequences yeah like the the visual effect which were nominated were oscar nominated i believe if, i don't think they won this 2000 so that probably be like gladiator yeah it was gladiator uh but still i i it, it was impressive for how you handle the invisible man in you know the 2000s now we're in 2019 if we can apparently bring back james dean for a new movie i think we could probably make <laughs> the invisible man work pretty well so i uh no i i want to see what that looks like i want to see what lee Wannell, a director that yes i did enjoy watching Upgrade. I don't know, I saw Upgrade. Uh, I I, I want to see what he does with something like this. And the fact that it's Blumhouse is inspiring as well, because it means it has its budget relatively in check, so it could do some neat things without having to kind of be whatever the hell the mummy was, which I know, Peter, <laughs> you're the one fan. Uh, you and Yancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 I'm not a huge fan. It's okay. Don't, I'm not a huge... It, it's all right. I just, didn't think, I just didn't think it was terrible, that's all. Your enthusiasm is what helped kill the Dark Universe. Because <laughs> you were like, it's okay, Universal, you guys are fine. They're like, yeah, cool, we're going to launch this movie. And then it failed. And it's, all, it's mostly your fault. That's what I'm saying. Hard stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, but regardless... Yeah, I, I want to see what this is. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. It's intriguing to me just to have another Invisible Man movie. I support Universal Monster movies in general, because why not? They're Universal Monsters. You can do all kinds of things with them. I will say, I, I will add, yes, the, the Wells story in particular, it's, you know, deviating from, but there are a number of Invisible Man movies, and I did see it some hints of the other ones that they have made in the past as well in here. So it, it seems like it... Uh, fittingly is kind of pulling you know some ideas that have worked in the past in other invisible man movies because those are some greatest hits that you can go after so with all of that said invisible man opens in theaters uh february 28th 2020 oh, is that a leap year <laughs> no is it mm. they tend to be I... odd years right they can go back and forth i guess yeah, i don't, I don't know, know. Yeah. yeah i don't remember yeah well, regardless, it opens probably the end of February. <laughs> so the answer is yes, it is a leap year. Question. Next year is a leap year. It is a leap year. Okay, it so it opens a, a day before the end of February. <laughs> that was a very necessary point to make. So of course, mark yes. Your, very everyone mark your calendars accordingly. Everyone has a birthday on the 29th. Just know, guess what? You can go see that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All that out of the way, let's get to our main review for Dr. Sleep. As a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there. They come back. That should have been some of the trailer for Dr. Sleep. In 1977, Stephen King released one of his most personal and acclaimed novels, The Shining. In 1980, Stanley Kubrick thoroughly pissed off Stephen King by doing his thing the own way, his own way in a cinematic adaptation. To make things worse for King, The Shining went on to become a horror classic, 
Enter Mike Flanagan, a horror director who's accomplished a, quite a number of things in the few years that he's kind of been around directing uh, horror features. He's taken on the task of adapting King's sequel novel, Dr. Sleep, as a cinematic sequel to both the book and the Kubrick film, as well as the Kubrick miniseries, or the, sorry, the, the King King penned produced a miniseries that came out uh, about 20 years ago. It follows a now adult Danny Torrance, played by Ewan McGregor, who comes into contact with others with the powers to shine. Some are good, but some are, uh, well, they're quite bad. Eric, I've seen a number of pictures of you wandering around what looked like the Overlook recently. Yep. <laughs> what, what, what is that? And what do you think of this movie? Uh, that was a trip that I recently got to take to the Stanley Hotel, which was I am famously... now immediately jealous of Eric. <laughs> yes, uh, it was honestly a. I, I get to do a lot of cool things. I go on a lot of cool trips. This one is just a total, absolute mind blower. Uh, for those who don't know, the Stanley Hotel is a hotel in the Rocky Mountains in, Col in Colorado that Stephen King went to in the late 1970s, having written both Carrie and Salem's Lot and was kind of suffering from writer's block as he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do as his next novel, winds up getting to this hotel, which is uh, it's closing for the season. So him and his wife are the only two people in the hotel. He uh, books room two, 217, which is kind of the nicest suite in the hotel. Uh, it's also famously an extremely haunted hotel. Uh, there are many, many ghosts and stories about uh, dead people that existed within there. Uh, there is a bar that he attended, which uh, and with a bartender named Lloyd. There was a uh, for those who have read the book, uh, they will remember a certain image uh, that Danny kind of conjured about a fire hose that kind of takes on a life of its own and kind of goes wild. Well, that's, a, that's a great part of the ABC miniseries. Absolutely. Also, well, uh, uh, it is a, sorry. It's a, it's a that's part an adjective. of the, ABC. That it's is a part, a part of the, adjective. yes, I just cut out the adjective. Uh, 90s effects. I mean, what can you do? Uh, however, all of that just basically hit Stephen King, like a ton of bricks. And he immediately it with, I think within, I think it was maybe a couple days uh, or less within, within his stay at the Stanley, he had the entire structure of the shining planned out. And obviously it turned into something absolutely magical. That place is remarkable. I uh, I, got, I got to go as part of a Doctor Sleep event, and as Aaron was referencing, I got to. Well, I, I just on, like for fun, I basically took a series of I believe it was fifteen stills from The Shining and re recreated them in the halls of the Stanley. It was super fun. Uh, just a fun event to do, and I desperately want to go back to that hotel. But to go from the, in that uh, to talk about Doctor Sleep. I absolutely I, I love this movie. I, I I'm a huge Mike Flanagan fan. I have been for a very very long time at this point, and I am kind of and also I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I actually really love the novel that it's based on. And I think that the combination of the two and the kind of what Flanagan does to the story, both to map it to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which obviously it has to being a sequel, while at the same time being very honest to both uh, Stephen King's Dr. Sleep and uh, original The Shining novel. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's the, what, it, what it does with that material is absolutely wonderful. Rebecca Ferguson's performance as Rose the Hat, I think, is one of the all-time Stanley King cinematic villains right up there with Annie Wilkes or Pennywise or uh, I mean, it's just the best of the best. And so, yeah, I am very effusive about my love for this movie. Uh, it was really everything I was hoping it would be. All right. Peter, you've recently watched The Shining on 4K. 
I did, and it was mind blowing. I I had not seen The Shining since I don't know DVD or like it's been a while. Like mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had the Blu-ray or anything. And the 4K is yeah, it's amazing. It's one of the best. It's probably the best 4K I have. I, I technically I have 2001, but I haven't watched it yet. I've heard that's really good. Um, Aaron, you've always said that Warner Brothers is is kind of known for doing a good job with uh, their 4K uh, transfers and everything. So I was certainly for their like the the kind of these prestige titles that they have, right, these things right, that are in their right. in their library that are you know treasured by many cinephiles. Um, I will say that this is interesting because I went to the screening with a friend of mine who big Stephen King fan. Um, he even liked It Chapter Two. Um, that's how much of a Stephen King fan he is. Um, he read Doctor Sleep. I had I had not. I read Stephen King as in high school, but honestly, I haven't read Stephen King in quite a while. Um, so uh, I was mixed. I thought that I agree with you. Rebecca Ferguson, Rebecca Ferguson is fantastic. I mean, basically from like the first moment we see her, which is the opening of the movie, like she's yep. terrific. Like she has tons of personality and she's menacing and she's just got everything, like everything that you kind of want in that kind of character. Um, and I like you and McGregor, but I got to say it's a, it's kind of a weird thing where it's 150 minutes and it feels like there's a there's a really great like I don't know 90 100 minute movie there and to me it's basically all the stuff that doesn't have to do with The Shining. It's really just what Rose the Hat and her group is and sort of how that connects to um, the other characters. But every time it has to kind of fold back into like perhaps the Overlook Hotel or like things that we think of as iconic shining things. I don't know. It didn't like, it didn't grab me. Um, one more thing I'll say is, and it could, it absolutely could be the 4k. When I watched the shining 4k, I was so impressed with how like Kubrick's use of like the steady cam. And I think it might've been shot on 65 or something. Like the resolution is so good that like that movie is in 1980, but it, it, feels so immersive it feel like the way you move through the hallways or even if they're standing you know if like um if shelly uh shelly duvall comes to see jack in that big the big area where he's typing it just it just takes up space like part, you, part he, of it is that kubrick being a futurist he shot in a way where he knew what kind like that it'd be played on tvs eventually so everything is very symmetrical and everything has a big focus on it so it's, it's shot like so widescreen but everything takes place in kind of center frame and so because of that you because of that you have so much space around the character so it does pull you in because you're very focused in one thing that's because he's that's because it plays well in a theater as well as he's planning for people to see it on tv and it's going to be at that point it's going to be square tvs so they're going to you know they're going to lop off the sides and you know do it make it full screen and so you can you're you're still going to have that same focus when you watched at home at least when he was making no no you're and there's also the isolation yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it ties into that by just by yeah. shooting it that way, it kind of naturally extends itself to that aspect. But it's weird because uh, Flanagan has, um, like, he did Gerald's Game, which was Gerald's Game just made for Netflix? I think it was. Yeah, it was a Netflix yes. production, yes. So he's, and Haunting of, of um, Hill, House. Hill House. Hill House is also Netflix. So those are things made for the small screen. And so, like, I don't know. Like, it's not that it, if you showed me a still of, Dr. Sleep, like the Overlook, I would be like, oh yeah, that looks like The Shining. Like, absolutely. But for something, I don't know what it is. There's something about the way he doesn't use the camera. There's something about it where I'm like, ah, it just doesn't come to life in the same way. 
Um, I'm also trying – there's other specific things that I kind of have an issue with, but I'm trying not to do too spoilery. Fair but my, my main thing is I think everything that is that is basically a new story, which is what Dr. Sleep is, I think is really terrific. Uh, I just – yeah, I just don't know if, every, if going back to The Shining Well really worked for me. So, Aaron, I'm aware you've seen this film a couple of times at this point. Would you? Yeah, uh, I'm you a freak. I'm a freak. I saw it twice. And uh, look, okay, I, I'll, I'm going to admit right now that I'm I'm biased because The Shining is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> and I've read the book. I've seen the Mick Garris uh, miniseries from 1997. I read Dr. Sleep when it came out in 2013. And um, when I heard that this was being made into a movie, I was immediately on board. I'm like, fuck yes. It's, uh, you know, Ewan McGregor and Mike Flanagan. And I am I'm there. I the second time I watched it, I was in a theater with a crowd of people that was mixed. Some people had never seen The Shining. Uh, there were certain characters and things who showed up where they were like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> um, I heard comments where I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then there was the flip side of that where there were certain visual cues that were callbacks to the original movie where people were uh, vocal about their uh, appreciation. And my second time viewing it, I did think to myself, is, th is this level of fan service actually necessary? Because there is a big, you know, there's a big change that Mike Flanagan does in the movie that is not in the book. And I think it works. I think it definitely works if you're tying it to the book and to uh, uh, Kubrick's film. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. for those who aren't necessarily familiar with either the book or the Stanley Kubrick movie, they could maybe feel a little bit lost or feel that the movie was way too long. Or, you know, some of the things that uh, Peter just um, mentioned. But for me personally, I felt like this movie was made for me. Um, I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've been seeing people talk online about how they didn't know it was a sequel to The Shining, how the marketing was sort of vague there, how some people thought that it was a TV show coming to Netflix how other people thought that this would work better as a TV show. And I disagree there. And I feel like it's kind of unfortunate that, uh, you know, nowadays I'm not saying this is a blanket statement, but slow burn horror tends to, I don't know. It tends to be a toss up at the box office. And with all this talk about, about the movie tanking this past weekend, it, it kind of sucks that people are automatically using that as a, as a metric for how to judge the film, because if I remember correctly, when the shining came out, that shit bombed too. And yep. now it's, it's just iconic. Um, I mean, it, it, it was a decent hit for its time, but it was in terms of kind of praise it got, it was more mixed reviews. Like that was, that was more like it was, it, it was the new Kubrick movie that came out. It came out, I believe in the summer, like it, it made its money, but at the same time, yes, it was sort of, it was somewhat underwhelming in terms of Stanley Kubrick made a horror movie and it's like, okay, uh, sure. <laughs> so yeah. it, it gained, you're, you're not wrong though, as far as it gained respect over time. But I feel like, um, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here because no, there's right. a lot about this movie and I'm, I'm actually we'll get, we'll get to write a really long article about mm -hmm. uh, something personal for me and how these movies affect that. But the, the the what Mike Flanagan seems to do really well is create content that tells the story of childhood trauma and how um, 
how that affects a person in their adult life and what steps they need to take to gain closure over whatever the thing is that that sent them, you know, down the road that they've gone down. And I think he does a really good job in pretty much everything I've seen him direct in exploring that. And given that The Shining and Dr. Sleep are sort of bookends uh, for this Danny Torrance story, I thought it was beautifully done. And I'm going to stop talking. Okay. Um, I'll just add before we kind of get more into it. I like this film. I, I didn't find it great, but I thought it was quite good. I am a huge fan of The Shining. I talked about, Peter, I talked about how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my top five favorite horror movies. The Shining is also on my list of top five favorite horror movies, and it's one of my favorite movies in general. I, I, think, it's I, a, I yeah. think it's a masterclass of filmmaking, let alone horror filmmaking. And the, con- the, the, the prospect of making a follow-up to that, I can understand that as being daunting. And I can also understand, it's not like I was thinking Mike Flanagan's probably going to top Stanley Kubrick. That wasn't a thought that entered my mind. What I found to be interesting was how he decided to play with being a sequel to both a novel and a movie that are dissimilar from each other. So much so that the author hates the movie. Like, that's interesting to me. It's like, what can a director do with that? That's a neat challenge. Let's see how that works. I will say, in terms of roles where Ewan McGregor plays the older version of a character made popular years ago when they were younger. This is a lot better than Christopher Robin. Um, <laughs> I I think he's quite good here. And I say that because the, the early portions of this movie, basically the first half of it, where it's really just doing a lot of table setting as far as introducing you to the characters old and new. I really like all that a lot. I think that's like great filmmaking. Like at it's, it's great character study work. It's highly dramatic. The, the the fact the movie's called Doctor Sleep for a specific reason because Ewan McGregor works in hospice, and um, because of his abilities, like he's able to kind of help people help older people die essentially, and it's quite sad and it made me cry. Um, so it's like, well, the movie's working on this level to me. Like that's I'm I'm getting this, and at the same time I'm getting I'm learning more about Rebecca Ferguson's character as Rose the Hat, and her. I call them steampunks because that just makes sense to me in a time. I like it. Nice. Um, but the, the, uh, like all of that stuff I found to be quite fascinating. And then you have the, the young girl, uh, Kyla Coran as Abra, um, who's like the Skywalker of shining people. <laughs> apparently she has like the, so it's like, I like all of this stuff. I like the world building they're doing here. If, if the shining, as you mentioned, Eric, it's known for its isolation and, you know, kind of just being out there and stuck in one place and, you know, watching people go mad. This movie's expanding. This movie mm-hmm. has multiple characters all over the country. Uh, it, it's showing you more of the world involving the shining and the supernatural elements there. That's, that's neat to me. That, that's a way to do a different kind of sequel as opposed to just doing more of the same again, but bigger and better or whatever. Um, so, I really liked that movie they were telling, and once it gets to the end where it becomes fan service if that's the best word to use for it, I was less interested in it. I liked the fact that he was doing it as far as, okay, it's neat to see this location again, but in a new way, but it felt distracting from the stuff I was liking more. I guess mainly because the, I think this, the, not, not just the, the use of the production, but just the, the story, the writing at that point just kind of fell through for me. It just felt less intriguing. I, I don't know how to, beyond going directly into what happens, it feels like it's failing me a bit now, as far as... Can I ask as... you a question? Is it, I mean, is it considered a spoiler if we talk about how 
the original Shining book ends, or how no, I mean, let's the put, original we'll put, miniseries ends. Let's put this out there. In the, the book, ver- the, the the cinematic version of The Shining, the Overlook is left standing as a, right. basically a creepy haunted house. The book version, the the damn place blo- burns down. <laughs> there's right. no there's no Overlook, so well, it's like, how do you? Yeah, and with you that? mentioned earlier the Mick Garris miniseries because. At the end of that one, the Overlook burns down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I don't it's more like... in line with the book. That's what we're mentioning yeah. the miniseries. Like, it's not Basically, that miniseries thing. was made by Stephen King to say, like, kind of screw you, Stanley Kubrick. Right. I'm yeah. going to make The Shining that I wanted to see. It was yeah. a very elaborate ego-stroking move on ABC and Stephen King's part. <laughs> yes, 100%. Well, I, I, I would just say, like, I mean, what it is funny because, like, it's it, it, you guys both make that point about uh, how, like, the third act gets to uh, that kind of fan service point, mm-hmm. uh, and you're not the only two people that I've heard say that. But what is just kind of funny about it is that, like, it is the book. I mean, and, and to kind of piggyback yeah. on what, the note that you were just making about uh, the Overlook burning down, I mean, the end of this movie. Or, I'm sorry. The end of the novel takes place on the grounds of yes. the, of, of the burned down Overlook. So, right. like. Basically, Mike Flanagan did what he could. He he made changes that he had to make, given that the Overlook is still left standing in Stanley Kubrick's film. And frankly, I just I I, I really I, I like it's kind of magical for me. Like I, again, I'm I'm kind of in the same way. Uh, Aaron, I'm in, I'm in the same boat as him, where like I'm kind of in awe of the fact that this movie kind of exists as a almost like pop culture mediator uh, between Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King. And like to to see Stephen King have the reactions that he's had to this movie, I think are actually kind of special. Uh, Somewhere that this actually uh, made Stephen King's perspective of Stanley Kubrick's movie uh, that it's, it's like lessened his his hate for it. Exactly. And that's a, that's incredible. I mean, it's been 30 years. It's been based. It's almost been 30 years, 40 years. I'm sorry. No, I mean, like, but, but King's coming out and being like, this is better than that. Movie. Well, <laughs> like, no, I mean, but for him to actually like change his. And, and I think that's something that the movie does effectively. It, it like as an act, acting as a second act of the of this first of the if the shining is the first act then it does it makes certain changes and includes certain things and it kind of makes good on certain thing on certain themes that Stephen King felt was lacking in Stanley Kubrick's movie to the point where it kind of retroactively makes it work when you look at both films as kind of a complete story and i can totally understand why Stephen King would kind of soften his view from that perspective i'm, I'm not going to i'm not, gonna, also... I'm not gonna, let me just say i'm not going to disagree with the, with what you're saying as far as the intent and how and him doing this like what actually occurs in the story from like a script standpoint in terms of like where characters end up by the end of this movie i do see how that fits i've i've i haven't read dr sleep i've read the summary so i can like be aware <laughs> but like so i i understand what it's doing and how it's managing to kind of fit both things into one box and i can respect that it's i guess an execution where it just I don't want to get. Um, there's so many. This, this movie's 150 minutes, and we're talking about the last 20. Uh, sure. But this, but like the, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's seeing certain kinds of imagery or whatnot, and seeing how it just feels off to me. Like that's there's, there are things that you see in The Shining that reoccur here, and part some of it feels like they're just showing this because it's like a member berries. Like oh yeah, remember that? Well here it is. There's the elevator. Like I mean, there, it's just things like just kind of happened without me really having anything to say beyond. Okay, that looks good, I guess. There's other things that occur where you're taking characters to certain lengths and you're doing a thing with it that I can get behind, but it, I don't know, part of it kind of feels rushed. There's a Peter, wh- where could, what can you say here as far as we're the two that seem to be kind of lesser on the shining aspects? Well, you know what? 
interesting to me because I wanted to ask, um, you brought up the fan service thing. Like, I'm just curious for the people on the on the podcast. Like, wait, have we all seen Rogue One? Yes, I would. Yes. So. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I think most people would say the big scene with Darth Vader at the end with the light, when he's all kicking ass and everything. I think a lot of us would say like that was famously that was reshot or it was it was an, an added scene. And to me, that's very fan servicey. Where I'm like, I don't really know like what this adds, except that I mean, except that the audience is like, oh, this is cool because Darth Vader kicks ass. Like yep, um, that's it. <laughs> and I guess I would say like that's the thing. Like, what's the difference between just kind of I guess what we would see is pandering versus like, oh, this is actually a really cool way to revisit either a place or a character. And I and again try not to be too spoilery there i mean aaron and i talked about there's a decision in the movie where the ewan mcgregor character is talking to somebody and i a part of me is like why did they make that decision do you even need one do you even need that scene and if you do need that scene why take the risk of doing what they do which is how the how this character is presented and th- those things for you guys who are fans of the original those didn't distract you you weren't like eh that doesn't work like that's the kind of stuff to me that no doesn't work no, but no. it also feels like it's not needed well you know um i'm going to say two things here uh i feel like i feel like dan's trajectory throughout the whole movie is him coming to terms with his addiction and his different issues that stem from his childhood. Again, like what I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. which then builds up. Okay. To really, to really put this to bed, you're going to go back to the original place. This has happened at. And I feel like to me, the different visuals that pop up that are, you know, iconic to the original movie that are being considered fan servicey. I even call it that, even though I loved them because I'm a fan um, I feel like those are representations of a point in this character's life that he has been trying to bury uh, in his alcoholism that are now coming back and he's facing them. He's facing his demons. But the other thing I actually thought that was really interesting here was we mentioned earlier on uh, Hologram James Dean is going to be starring in his own movie. Mm-hmm. And Flanagan did not use any imagery of the original actors in the in the shining he recast everyone instead of you know putting cg faces on someone else or or trying to represent these characters the way they were in kubrick's movie and i thought that was an interesting choice Uh, that was an amazing choice yeah yeah Yeah. honestly there's a there's a scene early in the movie where uh dick halloran played by carl lumbly who's fantastic by himself uh, but he's he's on the bench with a uh, young Danny and uh, Alex Esso, who plays uh, Wendy, comes running up, calling after Danny and just screaming his name. And honestly, it, it, it sent chills down my spine yeah. just because it was so incredibly like exactly yeah. like Shelley Duvall. None it, of that. It, none it, of that yeah. bothered me. None of yeah. none of those ones bothered me just because I feel like that makes sense. Like those the, for one thing, those characters are more involved, even though they're not in it that much. But like Danny, young Danny. Um, Dick Halloran, Wendy Torrance, like it makes sense to have those characters at least like more connected compared to another one where I just I wish it was in profile. I wish sure. it was I wish the face was never shown. I think that would have ultimately been the best I, way to serve it. I kind of agree with you there. With I feel like I'd have less to do. say about the whether or not I really appreciated the Cooper can the Cooper keys 
that's being applied to this film if they if they kind of had a little bit of restraint in that department. I respect that they had to make a very tough choice as far as well how do we do this for an iconic character. But I feel like it's I like it's it's kind of one of those like shit or get off the pot kind of things where it's just like if you had only done that like it kind of would have just kind of seemed maybe kind of weak-willed like you weren't fully sure. willing to commit what to you were doing. And by the way, and it, this is hard to speak about in complete at like in, in without detail because i mean probably some people have figured out what we're talking about by now but like but i think it's incredibly well done and i think the performance that uh we see and like the specific scene is honestly one of my favorites in the entire film so uh yeah like i i, I don't know i i i really appreciate how they kind of committed I, to it in the same way they committed to the other recastings let's back I, up i, a, I think let, i know the let, scene you're referring to let's Go back on. up a bit because we're talking a lot about like this section of the film which i do think makes a level of if warner brothers wants to advertise this movie mostly on the fact that they're going back to the Overlook Hotel. It doesn't hurt to that. We're talking about that a lot, too, because it, it does make an impact on the film as itself. Sure. And also, frankly, I think all of us are in pretty much agreement on the things that work early on in the movie. I don't think we're, there's much disagreement there as far as the stuff that really does click. Uh, specifically, I know you guys are talking about Rebecca Ferguson, but yeah. I also think Ewan McGregor is very good, and I think Kylie Coran, the young girl, I think she's very good in this movie as well. I, to, to back up a bit more, I like that this movie's weird. Like, it, it's not afraid to be like, Stephen King wrote a lot of supernatural weirdness in this. Let's uh, let's do that. Let's have steam vampires uh, t t taking children down and destroying them to <laughs> further their lives. It's like, well, that's I mean, weird stuff. That, let me do, that's that's right. weird stuff. I, I, that's weird stuff in a way where, like, something like Dreamcatcher, a movie that's terrible, but also, <laughs> but also, like, really wants to embrace, like, well, Stephen King made a weird movie about slug things or whatever, getting into people. Let's see what we can do. This movie seems like it takes that kind of approach as far as, well, there's a lot of weirdness. Let's see what we can do. And actually is successful at it. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I, I absolutely love that about it. Like, I mean, you were mentioning kind of the hospice stuff earlier. And like the fact that it actually takes the time to be a character study, it allows itself to be uh -huh. two and a half hours long. Uh, like, I feel like there are so many, especially like just going back, if you like, there's like, when you mentioned Dreamcatcher, there are a lot of bad Stephen King adaptations. Oh, yeah. there, like, there, there are a lot of, like, it's, King's work is full of a lot of detail and a lot of, and there are a lot of filmmakers who don't know how to cut, the, cut that detail down this is and this is the one good stephen king movie i've seen this year so <laughs> well there you go no I, I like yeah i think that like because yeah i didn't like pet cemetery and it chapter two was definitely lacking i haven't so, seen in, i haven't seen in the tall grass yet I'll don't, I, I did like don't, in the tall grass uh, this is, yeah, yeah. uh another another time um but yeah no this is definitely i think superior to all of them and but also it is because like it is allowed to be a dan torrance character study i mean and to kind of piggyback on what you were saying earlier aaron like this is a story about recovery and specifically trauma which obviously is very much something that uh mike flanagan is schooled in and part of dealing with trauma and th like you said like the reason why he's an alcoholic is because a he's dealing with the trauma that occurred at the overlook when he was when he was a child and because he the alcohol uh basically dims his powers but the way to get over trauma is to come face to face with it and so you really need this story to end there like there there really is no other place where it could possibly end so uh Isn't that a shitty situation where it's like well the trauma I have stems from supernatural ghosts haunting my family and making them try to kill each other. So I guess I got to go back there again. Oh, yeah, Whoa. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this moment in the film that sort of uh, connects his bouts with alcoholism to his father's issues with addiction that I thought was really heartfelt. And it was a very there's a few moments, actually. But the one I'm talking about, um, it, it touched me pretty deeply. And, and I think that 
you know, whether you're going back to a hotel that I, I mean, we could all be honest here. The Stanley Kubrick movie sort of glosses over the alcoholism part. It does reference it a little bit, but, but I think there, I think this, this exists in layers, you know, and, um, depending on what you connect with, I guess you can view this fan service, element to be a bit more of an issue than others. But, but yeah, to your point though, as a character study, like this did not feel to me like it was a two and a half hour long movie. Yep. It really, and, and I've seen it twice. And so, Same. yeah, <laughs> but I feel like I'm viewing it from the perspective of th- not just the writing, but the acting that that's how I watch things. It's writing first, acting second, sometimes acting first, writing second. But the story here to me, and I think the reason why it works so well is because it's a story of recovery. And once you have that as the foundation that um, they take a lot of time to really throw you into the world that Dan is in now as opposed to 1980, I feel like that once you're cemented there, you're stuck there with him, you're you're invested in the the journey that he's going on, um, that everything else sort of becomes more acceptable and and believable, even if you're following these psychic vampires, uh, you know, traveling throughout the country to murder children. <laughs> I do really like what how much they give McGregor like Dan to do like early like they really establish what's going on with this person like a, a different movie would just have him arriving in was it vermont or maine like it's new not hampshire. maine right it's new, it hampshire. Was, uh, new hampshire yeah yeah it, it just have him arrive there and he just you know you just kind of assume that he has a bad past or whatever this movie like lets you know like this guy is a drunk he does a terrible thing early on in the film yeah and, and, and even with uh carl umbley's dick halloran like you know like hey doc don't do that like you know he's just like trying to help um and so it gives you like it gives you a lot of frame of reference for what's going on with him, and it gives McGregor a chance to shine here. Like I do think he's very good in this. <laughs> no movie. pun intended. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I but I also like how it 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 um it finds a way to juxtapose him with the the little girl with Abra, who's slowly discovering her powers, and you, you like there's. Just, just like a, it's a, it's a lot of neat world building, I guess, as far as the early on, which is what we're talking about, like the early on, like half hour, forty five minutes, that really sets the groundwork for the story to get it running. In addition to the other stuff with true, the true knot and Rose the Hat, whatnot. Yeah. Like it's just, it, yeah. it's very effective storytelling. Peter, are you, are you on the same page with that as far as this early yeah, stuff? Yeah. No, with all that, absolutely. Something that was occurring to me as we're talking about Abra and Danny is that, like, I wouldn't say it's not a. It's not an exact thing, but it is interesting. It, I I did think that while I think that McGregor has a really great portrayal and of Danny, and I agree, I, I really like um, exactly how kind of messed up and dark he is in the beginning. It is interesting that as a as as I look at the whole film, it at least from a from a shine like point of view, it is sort of a. Um, a baton being passed. It is kind of like Mad Max where it's like, you are like, Oh, Danny's the main character. And you're like, well, sort of like, because actually in the way the whole story connects, it's really more Abra, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like he's really no, Danny's not as powerful as we might be thinking, which I thought was kind of an interesting development, I guess. Does that make sense? I mean, we talked about this a week ago um, in regards to the movie that came out last week that I can't think of. What came out? Terminator. Um, <laughs> as far as it's going <laughs> to... I think that fond- says a lot. Yeah. Fondly remember. <laughs> yeah. we talk- last week on the show, we talked about how The Force Awakens is clear. You know, Ter- Terminator-, Terminator has this whole 
it's what you're just saying, this baton passing as far as like, yeah, Hamilton and Schwarzenegger are in it, but they're giving it down to these new characters. And part of the problem was that it's un- it's not that successful in transferring it over to the new characters because Hamilton and Schwarzenegger are very good in the movie. This movie, I see what you're saying, because it's still like, it still has that legacy sequel factor going for it. Right, it does. Uh, it, the difference is that this is based off an actual novel and it has a definitive ending or what have you. It's not like there's going to be a shining three still shining. Um, but, <laughs> but there is a kind of, yes, we're made, you know, in addition to the fact that this book exists and Stephen King and Flanagan got together and they made this work out, there is the whole, well, the shining was part of, you know, it was in the eighties and the eighties is big right now. So we can bring that back again. We can, you know, involve the things that people remember from the past. If it didn't pay off, uh, as far as box office is concerned, it took more of a, Blade Runner 2049 route than yeah. something more successful. Um, good luck, Dune. But I... Uh... Oh, man, don't curse it, please. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. I, can't, I, I need that movie to do well because I can't live in a world with only half that vision. I just can't. I, that That's not acceptable to me. Oh, but man. but uh, as far as what you're saying, Peter, yeah, I mean, it, it does, you know, it gives Abra a lot of stuff to work with as far as being the character that you want to follow as having the shine. Like, you know, Umberger is not like, he's not Scatman Carruthers here. Like, he's not, he doesn't have next to nothing to do with a lot of build up to a, <laughs> quite the ending. But sure. but yeah, it is, it is telling as much her story as it is his story, as well as Rose the Hat's story. I mean, there's well, that's a lot there. Um, I'm sorry, one, it was either... Listen, Eric, one of you brought up that Mike Flanagan, who I do like, I like his movies. Um, he he does have this thing where I think the strength of, of his movies and his shows are always, they are always kind of about families, kind of broken family, like you said, like childhood trauma and stuff. Yeah, yeah like, I, like, I, like I, The Godfather and Fast and Furious. Right, exactly. But I really like that <laughs> even though Ferguson's character, Rose the Hat, is very, very scary and dangerous – she really, there is a, there is an empathy that I yeah. have towards her character, and she really does have her own ragtag family, and I like that. I was, but that's where I felt like, I guess to me, that's where I felt that those scenes where maybe where Flanagan is most comfortable, because that's the kind of stuff that he does in a lot of his movies. Whereas with some of the other stuff, again, that's more just shining y. I don't know if he has an ink. I don't know if he has something to te- to be tethered to, and maybe it, that's why it doesn't feel as warm or something. I don't know. You know it, it's weird. Like I, I don't. I kind of I disagree a little bit because I do think that. I mean, I don't think the movie fails in any aspect when it comes to not showing stuff involving Rose not Ro, Ro, Rose and the and the true not. But I mean, the in trying to do like horror type stuff, yeah, that stuff works and. In terms of the drama, like, I, I mean, again, I like the hospice stuff a lot. Like, I don't think he's mishandling the material when it comes to using them. Like, in terms of the Shining stuff, we talked about that plenty as far as, like, how well he handles the Shining stuff. And that comes down to, I mean, he's trying to do what Kubrick did. So it's, you know, it's not, it's going to pale in comparison in that regard. But, I mean, in terms of just showing us these other characters and what they're, what's going on in their world... I, I like Danny Dan rolling up oh, to New Hampshire like and like meeting Cliff Curtis, who's clearly on a break from Hobbs and Shaw with all that Harry's wearing. Like it's <laughs> uh, it, there's there's enough there where I don't I don't feel like it's it feels lesser. Like I I'm into no, no, him right. going I... into recovery and Bruce Greenwood's there and he's like, hey, I was in Gerald's game. Now I'm here. Like there's <laughs> it's it, I like that I like that Flanagan has a lot of all of his regulars are like pretty much in this movie. Like that, that's fun that way. No, no, that's all great. No, no, you're right. But, I'm, all right, yeah, I would agree. I like all of that. But like I, I don't think I, I don't think the the Dan and Abra stuff I don't think it 
doesn't succeed on the level it's do on what it's trying to work at. Like it's effective storytelling in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, it's really <laughs> weird. Cause you brought, it's funny. Cause you guys brought up Blade Runner and I, I love Blade Runner 2049. Like I don't, I, I and, and frankly, I, I, I was disappointed that Dr. Sleep didn't do well this weekend, even though I'm kind of, I'm sounding kind of mixed on it. I, I, I still think it's pretty good. Like we got I, a question I, coming up later on that will reflect yeah. on its performance that we'll get to. But uh, yeah, I mean, it yeah it did like what? 14 opening. Yeah, 14. The, the movie didn't cost too much because it didn't like, it's like a $50 million movie. So it's like, you know, it's in that mid budget range, but uh, yeah, it is, you know, it is underperform. You know, you would think this is a movie that won the weekend when instead it was, you know, midway. So, Right. Yeah, exactly. Did you guys find this movie scary? Yes. I mean, parts of it. I think huh. so. There I were was... part, I, I found parts that, you know, I, I it's hard for me to find things scary nowadays when I see movies. But I there were certain you. things that I found visually uh, surprising. Uh, I'm not going to say which scenes I'm referring to, but they were earlier on and actually towards the middle of the movie that had me I, I had me sitting forward in the theater and mm-hmm. i know you know it it definitely kept my attention i can understand as a father there's probably a certain reaction you can have to certain sequences <laughs> that would that would you know be difficult um, i'm sorry are you are you singling me out right now <laughs> That's a different TV show. Um, you you were not on that one, I don't believe. Well, I I mean to echo what Aaron was saying. I mean, like I think there is a scene in the middle of this movie which I feel like you it is it is best to go in knowing as little about it as possible. But like it does feature no- my second favorite cameo of the year. <laughs> it, it is a great cameo. It is a perfect cameo. Again, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it, it's it's epic, and again, it's it, like, and it's interesting also that it, like it, tie, it it goes back into the whole kind of Flanagan family of actors also. Um, but it is like it it is it, it's maybe not scary, but it is hyper disturbing. Like it is really upsetting to watch, and I think kind of within that, uh, it leaves scars. So like, it, it Flanagan isn't a jump scare director. That's just not something he does. He's more about kind of atmosphere and kind of making you like. Although like Haunting of yeah. Hill House, it's got some moments. It has it. some moments. Uh, like and, yeah, we, and I, Ouija, I, I, his Ouija movie is pretty Ouija. solid. Ouija's great. Yeah, no, I love Ouija, and and and, and there are so, like, I mean, but also think about like Oculus and. Like yeah, the, no, I, I, I don't disagree, because I, I like Mike Flanagan a lot for the way he does handle his horror in his movies. Yeah, because, I mean, his movies are way more about atmosphere than they are about, like, stuff jumping out of the shadows. And so, I mean, I, I think that's really what Dr. Sleep, that's its strong point. Yeah, I asked that, by the way, my first, my favorite cam of the year is in Uncut Gems. Um, but the... um I've seen it yet, so, yeah. It, you'll get there. And it's probably, it's not the one that you might think it is. But, um, yeah. but uh, as far as this movie being scary, I asked that just because... It's a 150-minute movie, so it's like, well, that's a long time for a horror movie. And, again, I mentioned how weird this movie is, and I think a lot of that overtakes the kind of, like, the atmosphere is stronger than the scare factor. I don't think that's a fault of the movie. I just found that to be interesting. The Shining, it's not like that's a scare-a-minute movie either. It's more of just, it's haunting, uh, watching that movie and letting the the score creep over you and the use of framing and what have you that Peter already described. Um, That's all there, and it's effective. So I guess, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go into this movie expecting it to be, like, you know, going to scare the pants off me either. But it does have some really creepy scenes. Like we mentioned, there's one in particular that we're not getting into, but it involves what, you know, the steampunks do to people. Um, And there's, you know, once you get to the Overlook, there's obviously going to be some moments that do things as well. But you also, like, I found it, and this relates to Peter, what you were saying about Rose the Hat and, like, the family aspect. 
it's neat to see how they battle with Abra, how that kind of relationship or whatever you want to call it, the, the adversarial confrontations between them, how that occurs, because you get horror imagery in there as well, including Flanagan's penchant for hurting people's hands. Um, <laughs> that was there. the scene I was referring to as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. There's stuff there that, it's neat how tables get turned in this movie, and I appreciated that. I I like the. Can the I way... just yeah. say something here? Um, I feel like, and and I'm not necessarily sure if this is what you're saying, but we shouldn't really, I don't know, the horror genre. A movie doesn't have to be scary for it. Oh, to of course not. A horror film, and I just wanted to say that because this movie is, in in a similar way, at least part of it are immersive in a similar way to the way the Kubrick film was, even though um, Mm -hmm. Flanagan has a style all his own where there, you know, the shining as a movie, I'm trying to remember the first time I watched it. And I feel like I was fucking terrified, but I couldn't really nail down why. Uh And I think it's about the aesthetic and about the storytelling that really drew me into that. And it's not necessarily about jump scares for me. So to, to fully answer that question, I, cause I'm still thinking about it. I, I don't think Dr. Sleep scared me mm-hmm. at all, but that might've also been because I knew what to expect going in from a, like a tonal standpoint and just like aesthetically. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I read the book, so I mostly knew what, well, that too. Okay, what yeah, the story beats yeah. were going to be. But I just wanted to make sure that we weren't just saying, well, this is a horror film. It wasn't scary. So, you know what I mean? No, yeah. Fortunately, we're on a you know a film podcast featuring people that like movies. So, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> easy to kind of go off that end uh, and be fine with it. Um, I, I believe. I will I, say. I believe most, like, I, I, uh, I think most of us are fans of Midsummer on this podcast, which. Uh, Definitely. Is, oh, yeah, great. I mean, it's I, it's, all, it's all about mood and atmosphere, and I mean, it's certainly a horror movie, but it's not like it's you know teeming with jump scares. Right? Yeah, I always think it's I, that always really drives me crazy when I mean, I guess people that I guess aren't as maybe big movie fans. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound like I don't want to throw in the cinematic thing, but like I, I don't know. Like I, I that drives me crazy when if I see something that I think is a really good horror film. And then someone else is like, well, I didn't think it was scary. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, but it's still a horror film. Like, so yeah, that, that that's always weird to me. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, yes. I think we would agree. Dr. Sleep, Pet Cemetery, and it chapter two. Yeah. You know, those are all horror films. They're all horror movies. Like regardless of their, their different range in quality and all that kind of stuff. It's similar to comedy. It's subjective, too. People can be scared by things that aren't the same as people are scared by other things. Some people laugh at certain jokes that people don't laugh at. I mean, it, it all makes a difference. I mean, you're saying right now, like somebody's saying, yeah, I didn't like it because it wasn't scary. Well, you did like it because it was scary. That's a subjective response in that regard. I mean, it's a little limiting on that person's part for saying the scary factor is what made, made or break the quality of the film, but whatever. I mean, honestly, um, if you want to break, get down into semantics, you could just break, go into like horror versus uh, just like the idea of horror versus. Oh my god, I'm calling blank on this. Uh, like the idea, the horror is more about like showing you things to be horrified by uh-huh. than to be scared by. Like it's it's less it's less about like the actual physical scare like screaming uh, the physical act of getting you to scream versus like presenting you images that kind of just shake you down to the core. So. Right. Yeah, for sure. I would agree. What else is going on in this movie that we want to talk about before we wrap it up and move things on? Um, uh, the music. 
Music's um, very good. Yeah, I, I'm a I, I'm a huge fan of score and music, and the way that just just on the sound um, scope uh, of the film, the way they called back certain sound cues from the original The Shining uh-huh. that I I guess I wasn't completely aware of until mm-hmm. watching this movie and how the, it really ramped it up to another level that that made me think, oh yeah, that's right, that's that's that something that is that is used in the original film just like the heartbeat sound effect that that sort of uh when that shows up that uh signifies some sort of shining thing that's about to happen or that is happening i and i know it's a very small component to the movie in the grander scheme of things but the attention to that detail um just adds to my appreciation of the overall movie no, I, I I agree, and that I mean that those are aspects that did help the movie kind of work in that scare zone, or at least that kind of building into the atmosphere. Uh, like you're you're getting things that kind of not only reference the past film, but also just get you into the zone as far as how you're supposed to be reacting to certain things going on here. And I think that extends to the production design as well, beyond just like the overlook. There are certain setups that call to mind Kubrick's film, or call to mind just. The, the creepy nature of what's going on and what you can mm. appreciate it about it. Even things that are simple, like there's an interview scene that takes place yes. in Bruce Greenwood's office that's exactly like an interview scene in The Shining. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in terms of oh, like. Oh, yeah, the, I noticed the, that too. The yeah. office, yeah. Which is like, it's neat, by the way, how four of us could all, and I assume many others could easily recognize the fact that the arrangement of a desk in a room is similar <laughs> it's to. It's like the color of the walls. The color of the walls. Yeah. The placement of the pictures on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. The name paint on the desk. Yeah. Question. Have you guys seen that documentary? Uh, was it Room 237? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. We all have. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think it's especially because I've, we, I think probably because we've seen that doc where we've seen a movie focus on the very innate details that go on in that film and having them drawn out to like the furthest degree to all the conspiracy theories and whatnot. That's probably certainly helped in, in us recognizing things from The Shining as well. Sure. Yeah, I will actually say just real quick uh, that I, I had the chance to interview Mike Flanagan in the last last few weeks, and I actually did ask him about the conspiracy theories in uh-huh. The Shining. And one thing he said is like through his uh, recreation of the Overlook sets, he like found that a lot there were some instances where he's like, oh, so this wasn't done to like particularly highlight something. This was done just because this is the best place to put. To, the, to put the camera so like yeah. <laughs> but, but like at the same time like he also he like he's the most humble person in the world which is just another aspect of the whole filmmaker his approach to this uh film but like mm-hmm. he just also fully recognized that like stanley kubrick was thinking on another level that none of us really the get the man was an absolute genius so it, it is never and you can really never dismiss the possibilities that there are things in there that are kind of like imperceptible to just the naked eye as it were well, you know, it's funny. Um, I just wanted to jump on this for a weird second. Um, I interviewed Flanagan for Oculus like years. Like, what is that? 2013? How long ago was Oculus? Yeah, 20, yeah, 2013. There is a moment in Oculus where it oh, actually I think it's the first shot. Well, and it's the first shot of Karen Gillian. It's from her. It's from behind. She's at the auction house and like she's uh, she's walking into the auction area and her her red, her long red ponytail is like it's going back and forth and back and forth, and I remember being like, I was like, is that saying something about the character? Is that deliberate or is that just some weird way? And of course, I asked him. It's not that I had a conspiracy theory, but I was curious <laughs> if it was conscious. And he said yes. He's like, oh, that was absolutely conscious. It's like sure. that was conscious. And 
Karen like got it really quickly. Like it was the, the way her. It's not like a, an effect or anything. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, I'm not saying it's the same as Room 37. But the notion of wondering if a filmmaker has a certain thing on his mind and be like, oh yeah, that was on my mind or whatever. Sure. So yeah, which I really like Oculus. That's one of my favorites of his. Oculus is awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like it. Yeah, Hush is great. Like he's, he's, oh, he's, Hush he's is awesome. Which, by the way, another thing that I actually learned while I was at the Stanley, just actually randomly chatting with Mike Flanagan, he actually wrote Hush uh, with his wife at the Stanley. Oh, there you go. Hush, the script for Hush was actually written while he was at, at during his stay at the Stanley, which I just find super cool by itself. So, huh. yeah. Anything else we want to cover about Doctor Sleep? We haven't talked. I mean, we talked about how Rebecca Ferguson is very good in this movie. We haven't talked uh, well, much about. I, you know, you know, I want my own spinoff movie just following her. <laughs> I, oh man, I have. Uh, I was. I have complicated feelings about <laughs> the character and uh, and them. And I know that the book goes into more detail about the true knot, the different characters and Snakebite Andy and all of them. And and I have to agree. I felt empathetic. I'm like, they're just trying to survive, man. They're just trying to live their lives and eat children's psychic <laughs> <Yes>. energy. <laughs> and torture them and whatever, yeah. Well, it's um, funny because I, I thought that um, you, one of you said how, like, it's not a TV show. It is very much. It's 150. It is a film. It, it is. It is. I do. I definitely didn't think it felt like you could break this up into three parts or whatever. However, I will say that like I do wish we had more time with her little caravan because like what, what what's the girl snake eater? What's the blonde? Snake, 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 snake. I, I definitely would have liked to have seen her do more. Like because we don't re- like when she's introduced. I was like, oh, this is gonna be a cool character, but she doesn't get to do that much. But she's great. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, in the book, it's kind of, I mean, it's the same in the movie, too. It's basically just uses a vehicle to kind of figure out just, like, what the True Knot is and how they can, like, by having a newcomer join that group. Uh, so, uh, the, um, her, her second, uh, Rose's secondhand guy, Crow Daddy, who I guess is, like, also her lover, probably, right? I mean, who's, yeah. What's the actor from? Zon I was about to say, his name is, Fargo his, 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 season two his and name Westworld. is Zon McClarnon. Was it he in uh, Longmire? Was he he was Longmire? on Longmire, and he was also he was in yes Fargo season two, where he's great on that show. And I was like, it's oh awesome. great, it's it's, Nate, it's great to see him in a movie now, <laughs> like yeah. he's very well, I mean, good And here. also his like the one episode of Westworld in the second season that like uh-huh. focuses oh, on that his character. Him? Oh, that was oh, him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So there's there's some real menace in that character too that I really appreciate. Like it's just the way they handled these true not like we don't learn much about like we mentioned, but. Like you're saying, P- Peter, as far as like the family unit that's here and like given things that happen to them, it's neat to see the vulnerability, I guess, especially in Rose's character when the tide shifts as far as how everyone's being played in all of this and what Shining is doing to what people and whatnot. Like it's it's neat. I, I There's a way to make like Rose a very two-dimensional character um, or a one-dimensional character, but instead they like there's there's neat flaws. There's neat things to kind of round her out as opposed to making it very simplified, bad person, evil thing. So. I'm going to actually, I'll, I'll pose this to everybody because it's a detail from the book that was left out of the movie is in, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the book, whenever Rose, the hat is feeding, she her like basically the bottom half of her face kind of transforms into this giant, like tooth as it's described yeah. uh it's kind of like giant sharp fang and it, it is interesting that it basically so they make the subtext text <laughs> exactly yeah regard. no she, t- she takes on the more monstrous uh form that she actually is like feasting on children i'm curious just for the room given everything that we've said do you think that it would have been in the movie's 
to the movie's benefit to kind of uh, have her have take on that more monstrous form and obviously the effect that that would have on the audience's perception of her? Or do you think that it was the better choice to leave it out? I, was, I think it was the better choice to leave it out. Yeah, I think it's Here, Here's the thing that I mentioned when we talked about Alien in our commentary for Alien, where that's a movie where you have an alien, and it's like, yeah, that's scary enough. And they're like, by the way, I'm going to throw in a robot on top of that. And somehow <laughs> somehow the movie's like, yeah, that works, and it's a classic. I, I don't think this is the movie where you can pull something like that off. I don't think you can be like, hey, we have like imagery from one of the best horror movies ever made. Also, there's like a weird snake creature in the middle of our vampire fest. Like, it doesn't really like it doesn't track to me as far as like I really need this. That's fair. I agree. Uh, I will say though that not not uh, not a creature thing there, but there's a sequence in this movie that I mean it's it's all computer generated, but there's a sequence where one of the characters is kind of flying from one kind of area to another. And uh-huh. it's pretty great. Like, yep. and, it, and it doesn't, and it doesn't feel like The Shining. But I was like, "What is this?" I was like, "This is really great." It's like, See, it, that's that's it, the weird that I could appreciate. Any type yeah, of studio is like, "We're gonna make this movie, and it's gonna be weird." Like, I'm on top of that. Like, it's one thing for like A24 to put out The Lighthouse, but if Warner Brothers is gonna be like, "We're gonna have a character," we're gonna have a point where Ewan McGregor is not involved whatsoever. It's gonna have two other characters, and they're gonna be like in a weird astral plane. Sure, give me that. Give <laughs> yeah, me that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, with all that said, I all like this. Yeah, Two well, of you love it, but well, like, with with that in mind, when should people go and see this movie? That's how Aaron. That's how we rate things on this show. We ask uh, when should, when should audiences go and see this movie? What, now, what you say to that? yeah, now, I, now. I, I like, yeah, support this film. How like, is that it, even it deserves a support? Yeah. <laughs> So you go, just go see it in a theater. Go right yes, now. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it deserves the theatrical treatment. Yeah. Peter, I think so too. I mean, especially if you're a fan of. Of The Shining and Stephen King, I'd say, yeah, go see it in a big darkened room, like big theater. So I don't disagree. I do think it's a good film, even if I have mild reservations about it. I think it's you know well made, well acted, like it does its job. So yeah, go see it in the theater. Go find it. Do it. Do it now. Uh, but not after this rest of this podcast, of course, which is what we're going to get to. We've talked about the movie. Now it's time for uh, what? What? A t- oh, it's uh, it's time for games. Ooh. Jesus. I know. <laughs> that is, of course, the improv theme for games, and I have a game for you guys this week. I'm it fucking called... ready. Be it. Good. It is called What's Up, Doc? And this is a game where I'm go- there are I'm going to describe multiple cinematic movie doctors, and based off the description, you have to name me what movie doctor I'm referring to. Cool. Makes uh, sense. Jesus. All right. <laughs> so, buzz in with our names. You, but yes, you incorrect. You buzz in with your. You shout your name out to buzz in. Most of the, some of these will just be descriptions of what kind of doctor this person is or how it relates to the movie they're in. Others will be a list of actors because there have been multiple people that have played said doctor. Oh, uh, I'm bad at this. I'm going <laughs> to suck. Ah. Well, Can I just first. use the, the other Aaron as my proxy? <laughs> we'll try this out and you'll, you'll see what you do. Just buzz right. in if you think you know it. Here's the first one. This doctor is, a, and the answer should be the doctor's name. Not the actor that played said doctor, but the doctor itself. Here we go. This doctor is a for, it's a former MD, a physician. His communication skills go far beyond humans. Doctor, oh Peter. Peter. Doctor Doolittle. Doctor Doolittle is the correct answer. Nice. I knew uh, that also, one. Well, buzz in faster next time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add that he's been played by Rex Harrison, Eddie Murphy, and Robert Downey Jr. in the upcoming very anticipated Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> very anticipated. Yes. Here's the next one. 
These are all actors that have played this character. Brian Cox, Anthony Hopkins, Gaspard Ah, Aaron. Uh, Aaron. I heard Eric. Eric. I heard Eric. Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter is the correct answer. Eric's on the board. Here's the next one. Paleontologist. Signature fedora hat. Eric. Uh, Alan Grant. Alan Grant is the correct answer. Wait, what's the what's the name? Dr. Alan Grant. Alan Grant. Park. Oh, Sam Neill? Yeah, Sam yeah. Neill. Okay, right, okay. I found out the books that he's written that Timmy references in the in the movie. It's The Lost World of the Dinosaurs and Dinosaur Detectives. <laughs> I like that he wrote a book called Dinosaur Detectives. Yeah, that's good, I like that. Here's the next one. Here's a series of actors that have played this character. Peter Cushing, Sting, Raul Julia, James McAvoy, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Aaron. Aaron. I, this is a shot in the dark. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein? It is Dr. Frankenstein, ah, nice. and you're yeah, on the good board. Nice. Good job. Wow, James McAvoy, that's a... Uh... Yeah, okay. It's from the best one, I know. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the next one. Nuclear physicist shares a name with a holiday. Part ah, of a... Eric. Dr. Eric? Christmas Jones. <laughs> Dr. Christmas Jones from The World Is Not Enough oh, is correct. So nice. Wow. Here's the next one. A married physician whose life is interrupted by the Russian Revolution. <laughs> what? Oh, Peter. Peter? Dr. Zhivago? Dr. Zhivago is the correct <laughs> answer. Nice, nice, nice. You all laugh and guess who's on the board again. <laughs> Here's the next one. Psychologist, deals with patients at a famous asylum, enjoys experimenting with fear. Eric, Dr. Eric? Jonathan Crane. Dr. Jonathan Crane, the scarecrow, is the correct answer. Here's the next one. Father was a Belgian baker. Mother was a French prostitute with Eric. web feet. Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil is the correct <laughs> answer. I'm going to keep going because I wrote all this down. Spent summers in Rangoon, took <laughs> luge lessons, when insolence was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. That's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> I like that movie. That movie holds up. That's good. Here's the next one. This one I wrote down the the um, the Wikipedia description of said doctor, because there's a lot of detail here. A vivisectionist who has fled upon his exper- experiments being exposed and has moved to a remote island of the Pacific to pursue uh, his research and perfecting his... Who, who did I hear? I don't... Don't, don't call me. <laughs> uh, Dr. Moreau. Yeah, there you go. Dr. Moreau is the correct answer. I was just going to say Marlon Brando. (laughs) Here's the next one. Doctor of medicine on death row for the murder of his wife claims to be innocent. Peter. Peter? Is it Dr. Uh, Frank uh, Kimball? Hold on. Peter, what'd you say? Dr. Frank Kimball or something like that? Aaron, 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 Aaron. Aaron? Dr. Richard Kimball. Richard Kimball. Damn it, Richard! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. If you just said Dr. Kimball, I'd still ask you to clarify, so don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's the next one. Here's a series of actors that have played this character. Peter Cushing, Lawrence Olivier, Anthony Hopkins, Hugh Jackman. What? Eric? Eric? Uh, Van Helsing? Dr. Van Helsing oh, is the correct oh, answer. Oh, God. He was a doctor. Hugh Jackman that did it. <laughs> yeah. But now you can say, who's the same character that Peter Cushing, Lawrence Olivier, Anthony Hopkins, and how Hugh Jackman played? Exactly. And someone's going to say, Wolverine! And you're like, you weren't listening. <laughs> Shut up and sit back down, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> All right. 
Here's the next one. First name Julius. He's a scientist. He's German and Chinese, and he has bionic metal hands. Eric? Uh, Eric? Dr. Claw? Incorrect. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, Works for Spectre. I'll throw that in there. Oh. Well. Uh, Dr. No. Eric. Dr. No? <laughs> Dr. No is the. I'll give it to you because nobody else is buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the last one. Here's a list of actors that have played this character Cesar Romero. Dr. Joker, right? Is that the. No. Um, <laughs> Cesar Romero. Walter Houston. Kirk Douglas, Adam West, Stacy Keach, Dennis Quaid, what? Val Kilmer. Oh, Aaron. Aaron? Uh, Doc Holliday? Doc Holliday nice. is the correct answer. Oh, nice. Yeah. He was a dentist. <laughs> he was. He's, that's why he's, yeah. why he's Doc Holliday. He's, he was an actual dentist. Yeah. That was part of his thing. <laughs> All right. Um, Eric, you won this game this week, oh, so good nice. job. I think I'm but, four uh, for four when I've played this game. So we'll, we'll get on. I like. I don't know how the guests keep track of these things, but I know some are more excited than <laughs> I others. Keep track so. of my record. It's good. Yeah. Well, good on you. Yeah. Well, if we had an out now intern, we, we would have all the <laughs> all the records being held somewhere in a safe. Um, but yeah, you won this game. But that said, Peter, you got on the board, and Aaron, you got on the board as well. And as we like to say on this podcast, as long as you don't strike out completely, you get to come back at some point. So oh, going for great. You. I know. Worked out. Worked in your favor. Nice. All right. Let's move on now. That was games. That was what's up, Doc. Let's now move on to out now feedback, 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 where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash out now podcast. I asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us answers, and they gave us questions that we have an answer to. Uh, Eric, Peter, Aaron, feel free to uh, throw in any answers that you may have to all these questions I'm about to go through. And uh, here we go. First one we have here. What are your favorite films about people going crazy? Lewis adds Streetcar Named Desire. And Chris has Crikey, some real goodies, but Black Swan, Repulsion, Re- Requiem for a Dream, and Antichrist. Yeah, it was mentioned earlier, The Lighthouse is just a, as a very recent example. I think is a phenomenal film. I absolutely really love it, and it's a great Descent into Madness story. Uh, and uh, In the Mouth of Madness, the Sam Neill uh, film, John Carpenter. I absolutely love that movie. So, Do- Dr. Yeah, Alan Grant himself. Yep, yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's funny. I was going to say In the Mouth of Madness as well. I feel like Eric and I are tuned into the same channel. Nice. <laughs> I mean, Event Horizon. Sam Neill went crazy a lot. Event Horizon. Oh, yeah, yeah. another one. Yeah, he blinded himself. It's going good. Yeah. <laughs> the Dish. He went pretty crazy. In that. I'm kidding. Did, <laughs> did did one of the um the readers, did, did they say Black Swan? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, damn it, they said Black Swan. Um, that's a good answer. It works. Yeah, what else is really... Actually, I do... And Mouth of Madness, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's a good pick. Um, uh, wait, well, would we say... Okay, wait, wait. Are we counting something like something like Shutter Island? Is that going crazy? Or is that actually more like he thinks he's crazy? Is that different? I mean, I think that's a fair I answer. It qualifies, yeah. I mean, you're, you're dealing with that kind of realm as far as watching a character descend into some kind of madness, even if they're perhaps already mad. Um, yeah, because I actually, I've been when I've been looking at my favorite movies of uh, the decade, I, 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 I really like Shutter Island. So remember what roles uh, Mark Ruffalo and Leonardo DiCaprio played? Wait, wait, what? Do you remember what roles they played in that movie? I don't remember. You mean the character names? No, I don't remember. No, I'm just saying. No, they were they were duly appointed federal marshals. That's not. Oh, that's I don't right. know if you recalled, but um, you're right. Yeah, you're every right. Every trailer for a year and a half made sure to let me know that that was the case with them. So. 
I like that movie quite a bit. Excellent. It's, it's, oh, yeah. No, that's good. I like it. Next question. What horror film hasn't had a sequel that deserves one? Chris writes, It Follows. Uh, still, whatever. It still follows. Nope. And Scott writes, Event Horizon. Which oh. is getting a TV series, like a sci-fi TV show, I believe. Because, huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one will I'll say, and this is another uh, very recent pick, but uh, I love the Happy Death Day movies. I think that the second one kind of got screwed over uh, by Universal just within its release schedule. And it sets up such a, a great done. idea for a third movie that yes. I really want to see it. And sadly, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Computer's language. I know that. Yeah. yeah, I really I really like both of those. And I, I, I agree. I don't think we'll ever see the third one, but. Which is a bummer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because the, because they cost so much money too. It's a shame. Somehow Bloomhouse can't reach into their pockets to pull out five million dollars for another Happy Death Day movie. It's crazy. And and it's and like and it's it's really just because like the first one came out in I think it came out in October. Like people were totally game to watch like a horror movie in that season. It was actually great. And then they decided to put out the sequel in February. And I. I don't get it. it. Yeah, bums me out. Because they had they had that ha- they had their Halloween money, right? So they didn't need to. Yeah, I guess. Over- yeah. There you go. Well, so, wait, you're, was... so instead you're not so you're not going to get ha- Happy Death Day kills and Happy Dead Day ends. Right. <laughs> you know what's weird to me is that um, and this has had a million sequels. Um, but I would make make my case that it is very strange that we haven't gotten uh, a new sequel or, or remake or whatever. If I'm right, aren't there twelve? Friday the Thirteenth movies, if we include the, that. <laughs> yeah, remake. no, we're all, yes, the, the, you are correct. Yeah, the next one would be the Thirteenth yeah, Halloween. How, or, how, sorry, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, movies. how is that possible? Like, like, how have we not gotten that? You know, it's like, mainly legal it's things. Stuck in yeah. court. Yeah, yeah, it's mainly legal problems. That's Wait, the what issue. is? The, doesn't Paramount make those? What's the legal problem? It's 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 kind of complicated, but it's involving the rights to the original story that. Sean Cunningham had, and then I, I, I got, I'm trying to remember the details behind it. It gets really muddied, but it's, it's been, it's, a it's been tied up in court for a while since the 2009 reboot. Yeah. So it's, yes, there's, I, I'm sure like Jason Bloom's chomping at the bit being like, when is this going to lapse? So I can just jump in there <laughs> and put out a Friday the 13th movie on Friday the 13th. So we can have the 13th Friday on a Friday the 13th movie, Hello. some kind of palindrome in there. Um, but yeah, it's. It's more complicated than you think. That's why. That's the reason, Peter. So weird. Yeah. yeah. Like... So that's why I'm saying let's make a sequel to The Burning. It's basically the same concept, and there's no <laughs> sequels to The Burning at all. So there. Um, next question. What are some great movie villains with hats? John writes Dr. Facilier. Justin has Alex from Clockwork Orange. Patrick has Jack Wilson from Shane. April has Loki. Sandy has Dracula. The Gary Oldman Dracula. Uh, Chris has Odd Job, and and Alex from Clockwork Orange. Uh, Robert has Walter H- Walter Houston as the Devil in The Devil and Daniel Webster, and Christopher has Ben Foster's character in Three Ten to Yuma. Oh, that's a good one. How has no one said Freddy? That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, uh, I guess I don't think. Of, I mean, I'm not the biggest Nightmare fan, so I probably would have thought of it anyway. But I mean, I guess I don't think of the fedora, even though that is a pivotal part of his three piece costume. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I will throw Henry Fonda and Once Upon a Time in the West out there. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Pretty sadistic son of a bitch. Let's see. Others with hats. Like, I mean, Mark yeah. Rylance in real life is like a horrible monster, I've heard, <laughs> and he wears that hat. So. Uh, what about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in um, Gangs of New York? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Bill the Butcher. Yeah. Yeah, right. Bill the Butcher. Yeah, it's a good totally. One. 
How about um, Ben Kingsley as Timothy Spall in the Box Trolls? Sure. <laughs> they all wear hats, but he's like <laughs> every time I watch the box shows, I forget that it's not Timothy Spall, even though it's like this big hulk hulking person that <laughs> seems like it would be played by Timothy Spall in a live action movie. Anyway. Totally. Yeah. Next question we have here. Who are some of your favorite movie characters who suffers from trauma? John has Manchester by the Sea. So Casey Affleck's character. Patrick has Batman. Good and Chris pick. has Odite So from Old Boy. Oh man, this is yeah, this is so like I feel like there are ten thousand titles just jamming their way into my brain right now. Uh Uh, I'll go with the wicked witch of the West. Yeah, (laughs) trauma, she lost her sister. Yeah. I I have a great one. Uh Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He can't find his sled. Exactly. (laughs) That's the plot of that movie, right? That's what it says on IMDb. An old man dies after can't not finding his sled. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Also newspapers. (laughs) Right. Also newspapers. Also newspapers. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Uh, any favorite Christmas rom-coms in reference to Last Christmas? Uh, Mary writes Love Actually. Renee writes Love Actually. Brian writes Bad Santa. Chris writes Love Actually and Serendipity. Uh, Love Actually is really... I, 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 is it the best? It, like, I think it... I mean, I, I'm trying to, like, think back on all of just the romantic, like, specifically romantic comedies, because, I mean, I could name... Like, I mean, any, any Shane Black movie, if we're just going to go for, like, Christmas comedies. I yeah, remember. Right, Christmas, of something. I, I, is, is Love Actually the one where Rick Grimes shows up without a beard? Yes. yes that is. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what it also says on IMDb for that one. It's the teleprompter, <laughs> uh, has the teleprompter cards. Right, yeah, the part, right, right. The part that's aged perfectly and everyone loves that scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is About a Boy a romantic comedy? Would you call it a romantic comedy? Uh, it's a comedy. It. It's at Christmas. He the romancing. You know, I mean, but it has it has the it has the beats the way a romantic comedy is, but it's essentially it's not really romantic. I mean, fair enough. Um, but I do like that. Uh, I'm gonna go with Scrooge because he gets the girl in the end. I haven't seen that in forever. Please. Uh, I'm curious how this will land with this group, but the Ryan Reynolds comedy, Just Friends. I thought you were going to say, like, Die Hard. I no. Like, well. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, that has been done to death. Well, it's uh, a <laughs> uh, But, you know, I, I actually, I like Just Friends. It's it's a funny, I mean, I, I, I'm very much charmed by Ryan Reynolds in general. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I like that movie. I'll, I'll, wait, I'll what's the, what, wait, I'm sorry, repeat, what's the question again? Just Friends. Are you a fan of Just Friends? <laughs> That wasn't the question. Oh, what's what's the, the, the Christmas the question? rom-com? Oh, wait, oh, you mean the question in general? Christmas yeah, Christmas rom-coms. I'm sorry. I think about what Eric's question, if Eric was throwing that out there as a question. Sorry. Oh, and then obviously we have, you know, yeah. Wait, am I the only person who's seen Last Christmas? No, I've seen it. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. We talked about the, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, about the ending. Um, but, oh, yeah, I can't think what else would be in that. Well, let's move on. Favorite films about pilots in reference to Midway. Uh, Scott has Star Wars Episode Four, so I guess Luke or Wedge, they both make it out of there. Um, Chris writes, "I'm an '80s man, so it has to be Top Gun." April has Carol Danvers. Patrick has Does Independence Day count? It has pilots, so yes. Uh, Jeffrey has Dunkirk. Justin has the right stuff, which is the correct answer. Also, Top Gun was pretty cool when I saw it in theater on opening day. Also, The Last Starfighter, Iron Eagle, but after working, excuse me, on the F-16 for so many years that the movie felt meh as I got older. Scott writes The Spirit of St. Louis and the original Flight of the Phoenix. Yancey has the right stuff, because, again, it's the correct answer. And Graham has Airplane. Favorite movies about pilots. 
You know, it's not an amazing movie, but I like the uh, the Great Santini with Robert Duvall. That's a pretty yeah. good pilot movie and kind of a yeah, deep I cut. I about that movie in forever. Yeah, yeah. right. No, that's like literally just popped into my head just thinking <laughs> of pilot movies. So like that was probably the first time in a, a very very long time. Uh-huh. I mean, following my Scorsese thing, I guess I'd say, the, do we count the Aviator? I mean, he's he's not it's really in the title. It's not his job. It's not like he's in the the. Uh, Naval Academy or anything, but he's still a pilot. He's not not a pilot. I mean, I'm sure Harrison Ford doesn't walk around being like, "I'm an actor, but I'm also a pilot." He's like, "You're not a pilot." He's like, "Yes, I am. I'll take you down." Uh, you know, actually, I'm kind of embarrassed this didn't come to my brain immediately, but uh, Cliff Secord from The Rocketeer, uh, one of my of favorite movies uh, as a kid. Yeah, you look like a hood ornament. <laughs> Love it. I make it too Jewish when I do Alan Arkin. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'll, I'll stick with you on the right stuff, Aaron. Because it's, it's a great movie. Um, all right. We got a question here from Luke Thompson, friend of the show. He asks, would Dr. Sleep had opened bigger if it had been called The Shining Returns? God, no. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I can't say that. I, I mean, I think his, his question is slightly in jest, but I do think I I get what he's saying. Like, if it was a more overt reference to The Shining as opposed to being called Dr. Sleep, which is like, who's going to get that outside of people that either studied said trailer or are just familiar with Stephen King's. Inferior novel by all means. I was having this conversation with a friend, which is, I mean, Doctor Sleep was a bestseller. I mean, when it came out in 2013, so I do feel like there is at least some awareness of it. I do honestly, I feel like the marketing actually did do a good job selling it. I I, I agree. I don't. I don't think it didn't do the job as far as being like this is what this movie is, and it has a person you recognize. Like I I get that. I I, honestly, I think the when it came to the box office, it was just kind of a weird thing where it's like, a, it's weird that this is a movie that came out after Halloween, especially Uh because like this year the big halloween movie was countdown which seems generally insane yeah. but i mean <laughs> because but, of how good it is yeah i right. understand but, but i mean but like but if you also it, it seems to also kind of just be a certain victim of the warner brothers schedule because you had it chapter two come out in early september which was basically planned because it was two years after the first it managed to make a ridiculous amount of money i'm sure warner brothers expected that movie to make just as much money as the original and in doing so kind of move into october and continue to like and maybe get like a bump with Halloween uh, and also Joker just overperformed coming out in early October. And I'm not sure that, that like Warner Brothers was even fully prepared for the way that that movie landed. And it kind of just wound up putting Dr. Sleep in such a weird place. And I don't know, I, I, I like I feel like there are a number of factors that kind of went into this disappointing box office result. And all of it bums me out. <laughs> I do. I do wonder, though, to Luke's thing. Ah, part of me feels like, what if you just pulled the Facebook thing? Just call it Shining. Take away the, <laughs> like, maybe that would have helped. Or Red oh, Rum. okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, like, or Red Rum. Because because in, in a lot of the in a lot of the uh, marketing, we keep seeing him looking at the wall with the Red Rum. So mm-hmm. I could have seen that. But I would agree. I mean, I get what you guys are saying as Stephen King fans. Dr. Sleep was a big hit. It was a big bestseller. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it it is kind of it's not a perfect connection. For like, sure. No, that's fair. Oh, huh. I didn't think of that. I I mean, aside from the fact that you can't just pull the movie out and be like, well, it's not coming out anymore. Like, what's the better strategy, I guess, with this? Because I don't disagree about the marketing. I do think it sold the movie on what it is effectively <laughs> enough. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I guess like it is a thing where it's like, I mean, you don't want like it just maybe it could have come out and 
like 2020, if it came out before Halloween 2020, it would have been the 40th anniversary of The Shining. So there's like some kind uh-huh. of little magic there. And also like you don't you're maybe probably you don't have uh, the competition from Joker, which is making a billion dollars from the same studio. I mean, it's just like it's just a matter of timing. I think it's, it's all circumstances. It all exactly. The way it all yeah. just fell together. It just it's just kind of unfortunate. It is. I mean, it, oh, my God. I was just I mean, at least the movie again, it's not. I'm not saying fifty million dollars is chump change, but I mean it's not a, it's not a hundred million dollar movie that you know really needed to do. You know, it's not Blade Runner, is what I'm saying. I guess yeah. basically, like it's not like it needed to break the bank in order to be successful. And it'll, it'll find be, its following. It like it'll yeah. find its following. It'll be fine, and it helps that the reviews are pretty. Like, what does it have like a seventy or seventy something? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's like it's not like it's, it's not like it's this hurt. It's not Dreamcatcher. So you know, it's like. That It'll have a good life, by the way. Yeah. I need to emphasize how terrible Dreamcatcher is. <laughs> it is weird. Like I, um, I mean, Warner Brothers has done a pretty good job. Like, I mean, and I guess obviously Universal with Blumhouse, but like War- Warner Brothers has done a pretty good job with making these. I guess uh, not it because I think that's a pretty big budget, but like making, I guess. Mid- and it's still like Chapter Two is like forty million. Like they're not expensive movies either. Oh, okay, yeah. Like they they've made because like you know, lights out the whole conjuring universe. Like they've got, they've got a pretty good, like stable in the last 10 years of like doing horror, horror slash thrillers that do pretty well. Like in in a weird way, Dr. Sleep is actually one of the only ones that I feel like it it is kind of a uh, disappointing box office. Like maybe it's also because these other movies, like what was lights out $3 million. Like, so anything. Yeah. I mean, this mainstream horror, they don't tend to be, that costly and yeah so the return is you know it's pretty easy to kind of gain there so yeah it's just more of a but and but in the studio system it's kind of nice i mean you can almost think about like the the profits that they made off of like the 10 million dollar conjuring the 100 like they make 200 million dollars off a 10 million dollar conjuring movie you can put that money towards making dr sleep the movie that it should be and then in the long run you are happy to have a dr sleep movie that isn't a like super cut down version and instead an actual like legitimately great sequel to the shining. So, I mean, I, I think it's, you kind of just look at the studio politics at that. Yeah, no, I, I agree for sure. All right. Well, that was that now feedback, feedback, feedback. Okay. Let's, uh, let's start wrapping things up here. Let's move on to out now. It's out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, 4k DVD streaming and all that stuff this week. Uh, feel free to, feel free to give a yay or nay as I go through some of these titles here uh, on 4k and Blu-ray and all that this week, we have a uh, good boys. Oh, yay. fun. Yeah, yay. We have the Peanut Butter Falcon. Never saw it. Didn't see it. I liked it. I've heard good things. Uh, yeah. The Farewell. Oh, great. Dug it. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yay. Yay. The Angry Birds Movie 2. I did not see it. It's fine. It's, yeah. What is the, the title... sound effect for fine? <laughs> <laughs> the title is the The Angry Birds Movie 2. Yes. <laughs> What a weird... Really <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> uh, let's see. 47 meters down, uncaged. Didn't see it. Uh, yeah, not great. Uh, one movie that only I've probably seen. Tel Aviv on Fire. I like this movie. That was fun. Did not see it. It's a small movie. It's neat. Uh, let's see. Boonwell in the Labyrinth of Turtles. It's an oh, animated pff. film that I know was... Uh, it's like an animated biopic, actually, which I heard good things about. It'll probably be up for an Oscar. It'll be like one of those, like, well, what's that movie? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. The Mountain. That was with Ty Sheridan and Jeff Goldblum. That was the Rick Alverson. Is that the uh, one film. with uh, Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I never even heard of that one. Wow. <laughs> he, um, what does he play? He plays a, um, 
like a psychiatrist or doctor. Or it's something? not. No, it's not. It's a. It's the guy that gives. Um, what are those things called? The Jack Nicholson gets one at the end of. Electric shock therapy. Oh, Rorschach test. Oh, lobotomy. A lobotomy. Thank lobotomy. you. Lobotomy. Why? Not We're all over the place on horrible things that happen to people. <laughs> we sure. got to it, <laughs> including Rorschach tests. I don't, um... I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, he plays a traveling lobotomist, and Ty Sheridan becomes his ward, and it's a. Interesting. It's a Rick Albertson movie, so if you've seen like the com- the the comedy or like movies that are very dark, uh, it's like that. Uh, and Brian Banks, which I did not see, but I just got a screener for yeah, it. So fine, it's, yeah, okay, very mediocre. Let's see on TV this week: The Big Bang Theory season twelve, the final season. Great. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> good. Good for you, show. You, you you do you. Star Trek Discovery season two. I'm a fan. Yeah, no, I dug this season. And The 100, Season 6. I haven't watched it. I've tried to get in 100, but I can't. I like CW stuff, but I don't know. I've only seen a little of it. I've heard good... I, I'm never going to watch the show, but I've heard the people that watch it really like it. So, yep. You know, it's got that going for it. Let's see. on uh, Especially stuff on Criterion, The Day Trippers. This is the first film from Greg Matola that's on uh, Criterion now. I haven't seen it. Um, let's see. On Shout Factory, we have The Nutty Professor series the eddie murphy films so you can get that and the clumps you know right. I, I i watched that first nutty professor movie a lot when i was a kid and uh i still very much i i i, I still laugh at it it's like uh it's not terrible it's that like, first one's very yeah. funny yeah it is they sequel, also made a second disaster. one yeah exactly right yeah <laughs> and um nothing new on the disc but pop star has a new never stop never stopping has nice. a new release from script from shout factory this week with a fancy steel book and anyone that's a fan of that film will understand why the Steelbook is a great cover. It's like one of the best pieces of art that I could imagine for Popstar. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It involves awesome. a big B. Yep. Um, I'll just say that. Let's see. On Netflix this week, we have Green Eggs and Ham, a 10-episode animated series about Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. It exists. Yay. There is a movie called Let It Snow out, which seems to be like a Love Actually type movie with a bunch of different characters. Yeah, so uh, the there. actress from uh, Sabrina's in it. It's apparently based on a book. I only know this because, I, like I said multiple times, I'm writing up a guide for holiday TV <laughs> schedules, and it's on there. All right. And let's see, The Great British Baking Show Holidays Season 2. Oh, my okay. wife is deep in this one right now as we speak. Well, there you go. Nice. On Prime this week, uh, One Child Nation is on Prime. I know that's a documentary that's gotten a lot of praise. About uh, China? Uh, yeah. And uh, Anna and the Apocalypse is going to be on Netflix, com- or sorry, on Prime uh, coming oh, this week. very nice. cool. The, uh, z- these, the Canadian Zombie Musical. Oh, you know, I never that. finished that. Was yeah. it good? It's, it's quite good. Uh, all right. Well, that's what's coming out. Uh, that's what's new streaming this week and whatnot. Let's move on to uh, what's uh, going on next week. Next week, we will be talking about Ford v. Ferrari, Dawn of Justice, of course. Uh, <laughs> that should be fun. <laughs> Ideally, Abe will be back for that one because we on this podcast are big fans of Rush and car racing movies. So it'll be fun to talk about that movie as well. Uh, the last thing we do here, what should people go and see now and what do you plan to see next? Aaron, let's start with you. What should people see in theaters right now? I already said, go see Dr. Sleep for fuck's sake. <laughs> All Stop right. listening to this show and go right now. <laughs> I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Go to your local AMC and just lay outside like a like a, like a person. Nailed it. Thanks. <laughs> what are you seeing next? What am I seeing next? Oh, that's... And this is movie-related? 
Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I write a lot about television, so I'm trying to think about movies. You, you know, you honestly, you got me interested in seeing um, both Frozen 2 and Ford v. Ferrari. Um, I wasn't actually planning on seeing Frozen 2. Um, that seems like something I should enjoy with my daughter when she's old enough. And I felt like I'm just not going to watch it until she sees it for the first time. But now I'm curious. That'll that, and that'll show her in the process too. Yeah, right on her face afterwards. You're like, guess what I saw? <laughs> She'll that's, be like, I don't talk yet. <laughs> right. Well, she's talking. So. Oh well, the game's on you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Eric. What should people see in theaters right now? Uh, I will like, very much echo what Aaron said and say, please see Doctor Sleep. This is a movie that definitely deserves your attention. Uh, but I mean, Marriage Story, which uh, I also mentioned, is now oh, out yeah, I limited that. release. So, Thank uh, you for yeah, me. yeah, definitely check it out. What are you seeing next? Uh, tomorrow, I am going to be going to the All Media of Charlie's Angels, which I have absolutely no idea what to expect from it, and uh, I've heard zero. I've heard absolutely nothing, and so I'm curious. I'd be cool to if that movie is really neat, but uh, at the same time, my expectations aren't exactly through the roof, so we'll see. Always a great sign for movies that you've heard nothing about the week of release. Right, yeah. Um, Peter, what, what, what should people see in theaters right now? I mean, I guess uh, in most theaters, I would also say Dr. Sleep, if you're in L.A., New York, or whatever, I really love The Irishman, um, sure, and sure. then I am also going to see uh, Charlie's Angels tomorrow. So I, I have no idea. Like I, I hope it's good, but I can't tell. Like so. All right. Well, yeah. Doctor Sleep is quite good. So if you can, you know, go find that. But yeah, if the Irishman's around you, go see that for sure because it's in a theater before you have to see it on Netflix. Um, I'm good for that as well. Although, and, uh, Aaron, I will yeah. say, are all of us? Is this? Is this? a week where we are all more excited about a television show than a screening. Obviously I'm talking about the Mandalorian. Are we all like, unless one of you've seen it already. Like, I don't think any of us have seen it yet. I don't think I'm excited is. for, um, ask Forky what he thinks about things. <laughs> yeah, so. Of course. The pick. But I mean, <laughs> Oh I, my God, that's right. That, that's Tuesday, right? Yeah. 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 Disney the, plus. The, Disney plus. Like, yeah. I've been the well. Yeah, I bought the three-year plan. Me too. Bro. Same here. Yep. I- I'm waiting outside the theater right now to not see it. So that's, uh, that's how I roll. <laughs> so, when it comes to new Star Wars properties. <laughs> so. I'm curious that like I I also got the three-year Disney Plus. I didn't. I haven't. Besides the email receipts that was like you purchased it for three years, I haven't gotten anything that's like here's how you log into your account. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, the site isn't I live yet. Either. There's no apps. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're like, gonna get that until Tuesday. Yeah. I was like, all right, <laughs> you're really waiting, really waiting for this to happen. So. No, Taika Waititi dressed as the IG droid that he's yeah. playing. He's personally going to go up to everybody's door and hand deliver a new app for you to launch onto your phone. I will say that I have not watched really any trailer for The Mandalorian. I know that it's Star Wars related, and I'm probably really going to enjoy it, but it's not something that I'm like counting down the minutes for. Well, let me tell you the premise. He's a high-class chef slash elephant trainer, and he works on an asteroid. <laughs> well, look, look, in like eleven years ago, John Favreau took a, a a somewhat not super well-known Marvel character who was basically in armor, and now he's doing the same thing for Star Wars. So we'll see what he does. Because if there's one thing Star Wars needed, it was the help of John Favreau. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> although apparently he's not good. I don't think. Uh, wait, who is the Mandalorian? What's the actor? Pedro Pascal. I don't think he's oh. going to 
I don't think he'll be be able to be a snarky. Uh, he's not going to be a, a, a Tony Snark. Tony Tony Stark snark. So that's why he has Taika Waititi as his wisecracking robot sidekick. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Correct. Absolutely. Like so. But. I'm very excited. I'm. I. I really hope it's good. So. All right, back to me wrapping up the show. If you want to see theaters, Doctor Sleep, that's a good choice. The Irishman's also good. Parasites out there, go see that movie. Yeah. So Taika Waititi, yeah. Jojo Rabbit's out, go see that movie. Definitely. And The Lighthouse, if you want to get war weird. hundred uh, percent. Which is, uh, is Lighthouse scary or is it horror? I mean, I'd say it's horror adjacent. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, but, like, but like, as far. Yeah, Peter, it's not good because it's not scary. That's the <laughs> exactly, that's what I thought. Yeah, um, I'm not seeing Charlie's Angels tomorrow because I want to see Waves, and so I'm seeing Waves instead because Waves is supposed to be great. So I'd rather see something that I want to see. That's that's where I'm at right now. Fair, yeah, fair. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's gonna do it. That's gonna do it for this week's episode about now third and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing about um, Walking Dead and occasionally Watchmen if I have time over at League of Entertainment, along with all my other movie reviews. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Aaron Pruner, where can people find more of you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Aaron Flux. Yes, that is a reference to Eon Flux. No, that is not a reference to the Charlize Theron movie. Yes, I'm old. Um, I also, uh, write a lot about television for Rotten Tomatoes, Thrillist, I freelance for places like Inverse, The Washington Post, and I apologize for all the complaints I have on Twitter about being tired. <laughs> uh, Eric Eisenberg, where can people find more of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E. Eisenberg, and, uh, all of my work is over at Cinema Blend. so, yeah, check it out. Peter Paris. Uh, I am at whysoblue.com, and, in- and, uh, under my name, Peter Paris, and uh, Instagram and Twitter under Pajamo. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com, facebook.com slash outnow underscore podcast, sorry, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast, and instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast. All of those places you can follow our stuff and what have you. Eric, Peter, Aaron, thank you all for joining me this evening. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having me on. For sure. Glad to talk about Dr. Sleep with you all. Look forward to talking about Ford vs. Ferrari next week. But until then, so long and goodbye. Like when autumn leaves fall down from the trees. There goes my honeybee. I've lost a lot of sleep to dreams. Insomniac, bad dreams, got me losing sleep I'm dead tired, my mind playing tricks Deceit, a face in the glass, unable to admit defeat All that I am, all that I was, is history The past unravel, adding insult to this injury I'm fighting the battle for the soul of the century Destiny is everything that I pretend to be Look, and what I did came back to me Eventually the music played on And told me I was meant to be awake It's unresolved like everything I had at stake Illegal activity controls my black symphony Orchestrated like it happened incidentally Oh, there I go from a man to a memory Damn, I wonder if my fan will remember me I've lost a lot of sleep to dreams.